It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Tuesday, November 10th, 2009. This is going to be an interesting program. <laughs> you know what's funny is, is that uh, I did not head off in this direction today for the program. This program did itself. I am not, I am not kidding. More details here in just a second. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, i got to tell you, not a lot of intro today. we we, we got a lot of ground to cover. I have been on the phone, and I have two interviews today, and one of them I had to, I had to actually edit a, a little bit of it, uh, not because the content wasn't uh, good, but because uh, I had another interview that I did today, and I had to make sure that they both fit, uh, well, kind of fit into the hour. In fact, I can tell you right now, the first hour of the program, it's longer than an hour, and the more I talk, <laughs> the longer it's going to get. So let me give you the, the rundown of what we're doing today. Um, if you remember back a few months ago, and uh, I, I did an interview with a gentleman by the name of Daryl Rundus. Daryl Rundus is the gentleman who is running the tenandwin.com uh, website. And the way the story panned out is, is that I, you know, I first played his uh, video, audio from his video, and kind of thought it was a little campy and a little uh, um, gimmicky. And uh, through a friend of ours, uh, I contacted him. And literally, I kid you not, just have become like blood brothers with this guy. I love Daryl Rundus. <laughs> he is a self-made millionaire. He is not a theologian. Uh, and, I, you know, what he, what he lacks in theological and doctrinal astuteness, he absolutely makes up for in his tenacious uh, drive and passion for finding any way possible to, uh, uh, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and uh, I've I've since talked with him probably three or four times, uh, not, uh, just on my own, uh, apart from the uh, uh, fighting for the faith in pirate Christian radio, and again, just I, I love this guy. This this guy is is my brother from another mother, if you know what I mean. But I, I got to tell you, this guy he. He he does things with the resources God has given him, and he is in the trenches fighting to proclaim Christ and him crucified. And so what we're going to do real quick, and it's not real quick, the first uh, segment of the program today is going to be a, a portion of the interview that I did with him uh, earlier today, uh, basically giving an update on the 10 and win website and talking about law and gospel as, as it relates to evangelism. And I think he has some great things to say, and it just absolutely gets me excited when, uh, when you find a layman who God has blessed financially, and the thing he's absolutely obsessed with doing is using those financial resources in, in, in any way, shape, or form to, uh, to get the gospel out and to reach people who are not in church but are outside of church uh, with the good news of Christ. 
And so you, you get to listen in on that uh, interview today. And then after the first break, which everything's running late today, everything is running late today. After the first break, then uh, you're going to uh, listen in on an interview I did with Marcus Pittman. Marcus Pittman is a gentleman who runs Transplant Ministries, and he's an open-air preacher. And i got to tell you, um, we've become friends over the Internet and the one thing I love about Marcus Pittman is the same thing I love, love about Daryl Rundis. Uh, Marcus Pittman on, is on the other end of the financial scale uh, as Daryl Rundis, but Marcus Pittman goes out and does open-air preaching, and he proclaims law and gospel. In fact, his Twitter name is Law Grace. Uh, and uh, and he, interesting story, the reason I'm interviewing him is because this past Sunday he attended one of the the big mega churches in his neck of the woods, and the name of the church is Wave Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and it's uh, associated with the Hillsong uh, group down in Australia. And what do we know about Hillsong? Hillsong is deep into the prosperity heresy. And uh, Marcus Pittman is going to uh, tell the story of how he how he came to attend the church this past Sunday and how he was literally escorted out of the church and off the church property uh, by security guards after he dared to tell the pastor there that he disagreed with some of the things he was preaching. And so um, one of the things you're going to learn from that little interview is that apparently uh, the, the gospel, the biblical gospel of Christ crucified for our sins and calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and as opposed to the prosperity heresy that Jesus Christ died so that you can have uh, a first-class seating on an airplane or uh, drive an expensive vehicle or whatever. Basically, it's the Ponzi scheme known as the uh, perp- uh, the prosperity heresy. Uh, if you contradict that, that uh, and uh, preach the biblical gospel or t- tell the biblical gospel to somebody at uh, at uh, Wave Church, well, you're going to be escorted off the property. Just that's what's going to happen. So it's it's an interesting story worth passing along. And as a result of Marcus Pittman's experience, uh, that was the deciding factor is what sermon we were going to be reviewing today. We will be reviewing a sermon uh, by Steve Kelly of Wave Church at Virginia Beach, Virginia, entitled Self esteem that they he recently preached two sermons on self-esteem we will be reviewing self-esteem one and just keep in mind self-esteem and uh, one and self-esteem two are not biblical books of the bible but we will be comparing uh pastor steve kelly's preaching and teaching to the word of god to see if he's correctly handling god's word and properly preaching law and gospel and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus name so that's what we're going to be doing for the balance of the program. So without any further ado, it sounds like I'm rushing. Well, yeah, I I am because I'm actually already late. (sighs) Like I said, this program kind of wrote itself today. Uh, So without any further ado, here is my uh, interview with uh, a man that I have just really come to love, and that is Daryl Rundus. All right, I got Daryl Rundus on the line from 10andwind.com. And funny enough, he hasn't had the uh, giveaway yet. He's going to be giving away $20,000 to the first person that he uh, is going to call on an upcoming date uh, who can recite to him the Ten Commandments, uh, Calvinist style, if you would. Uh, Daryl, thanks for coming back on Fighting for the Faith. Hey, it's my pleasure. Great to be here. All right, so you didn't uh, didn't give away the $20,000 in October. What happened? Well, 
God has a way of reordering our steps. Evidently, there was a few more people who needed to enter or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> my wife uh, came down with appendicitis. Well, that's uh, serious. Yeah, it was actually very serious. And then we rushed her into the hospital, who then confirmed she had appendicitis. And they had emergency appendectomy on Monday, the same day I was supposed to give the winner away. So we had sent out an announcement to every single person who had registered. Okay. And... Uh, let them know that this Friday the 13th would be the new scheduled day to give away the winner. So Friday the 13th is the day that uh, you're going to just basically you've got uh, you've got a database of people who have entered. And you're going to have some way of randomly selecting phone numbers and then giving them a call. And the first person to recite the Ten Commandments uh, Calvinist style, I guess, or, or, or American style, uh, in look at tenandwin.com if you need the ordering. Uh, then is there a time limit as to how quickly they have to uh, recite these Ten Commandments? Yes, the rules will be all Ten Commandments okay. in order in 20 seconds or less. Whew! <laughs> oh, I, I, I've done a few of the radio shows, and uh, a couple of the hosts, uh, when I put them on the spot to see if they could do it, they actually did it in less than ten seconds. So, uh, okay, pretty impressive. Now, now, I, now, I was, I was telling you uh, before we uh, we went on the air together here that uh, the way you're doing it, it definitely discriminates against uh, Lutherans <laughs> or Catholics. Catholics <laughs> or Catholics, yeah, because we we follow an older an older uh, way of ordering. But just so you got, you should you shall have no other gods. And then for you, the second commandment is uh, no graven images. Right, no idolatry. Okay, and then uh, and then it would be uh, uh, not miss you. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right, Sabbath day. Honor the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother, and so on. Murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not uh, give false bear false witness. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Like less than 10. Uh, I make it look easy, though, because I'm a highly trained professional theologian on the radio. Hey, I won't mention the man's name, but I did call a pastor, a friend of mine, and uh, been just practicing, you know, just just trying to get ready to do this thing on Friday. So I gave him the little spiel. Hey, this is Daryl Rundus over at 10 and Win. You registered to name 10 and win 20,000. Are you ready to go? Uh-huh. And that's essentially what we're going to do, just put people, bam, right on the spot and start start the clock. So that way, it, it, it you know, it, 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 I think, eliminates, if not uh, prevents, to some degree, people from, let's say, having the Ten Commandments on a list somewhere. So <laughs> they won't know what time I'm going to call. They won't know it's me that's calling, and uh-huh. it will quickly put them on the spot. But when he was put on the spot, now this guy knows the Ten Commandments. Usually he could name them backwards or forwards. So, uh-huh. um, but he, he, he stumbled and inverted two of the commandments uh, when I put him on the spot. So it's a, it's a little much of, you know, a little bit of a pressure cooker when, you know, when you're put on the spot like that. Right. Now, what's funny, our story is, is that, you know, I, somebody had sent me uh, your YouTube video, I guess, shortly after you put the 10 and win site up. And I, I thought it was kind of gimmicky. And then, uh, and then, uh, a, 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 a guy who follows me on Twitter that is now a mutual friend, Marcus Pittman, he uh, he said, "No, no, you got to go look harder. <laughs> look, you got to really look at the site." And so, you know, in just in working with the site, the thing I thought was brilliant is is that you make people kind of answer the question as to whether or not they've kept these commandments, and if they give dishonest answers or a- answers that make them look good, your your uh, website kind of <laughs> forces them to look harder. <laughs> Well, we wanted to make sure um, that people understood there's none good. 
No, not one. Right. Sadly, in this easy believism type of atmosphere that we live in today, a lot of people, uh, when asked, do you consider yourself to be a good person or even more direct, are you good enough to go to heaven? Mm -hmm. Many who claim to be Christians will say yes to that answer. And, of course, if they think they're good enough to go to heaven, well, they've really missed uh, the understanding of what God's grace is really all about. I mean, if we were good enough to go to heaven, what do you need Jesus for, right? I don't I don't need a, a, a crucified Savior on a cross if I'm good enough to go to heaven. That's right. If you can go on your own works and your own good deeds, and if your good outweighs your bad, of course, everybody readily admit they're not perfect, but most will proclaim each their own goodness, Proverbs 20, verse 7 or 20, verse 8. Uh-huh. Um, but a faithful man who can find, and, and that surely is the case. So when people click yes, they've kept any one of those commandments, we just have a little video pop up, real quick, 30, 60 second type of uh, rebuttal that just kind of helps them understand why they might not have uh, kept that commandment after all. All right, and then and then at the end, you know, since you your uh, your website makes it very clear that everybody's a sinner, uh, if they st- if they still stick around after that, I mean, t- today's day and age, I mean, uh, doing that to be, you, I'm surprised you haven't been sued for hurting someone's self esteem. Uh- Cyberbullying bill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just quoting the commandments. It's up to them to decide if they think they've kept them or not. Moreover, and I think what you're getting to is the best part of all, the good news. Yes. Uh, what we do is after taking them through the, each and every commandment, we share the full message of the gospel, you know, sin and repentance and faith and trust in Christ alone and so on. So it uh, it's a great way, night and day, for me to share my faith with other people without having to be there to do it. So it was kind of a great way to get thousands of people to hear the gospel message who might not have otherwise. In fact, on that note, I would encourage people listening uh, to not only register yourself, but if you're an evangelical chicken, you know, you're afraid to share your faith, as 9 out of 10 Christians seem to be. Mm -hmm. This is a great way to indirectly share your faith. I mean, this is something you can tell your coworkers about. This is something you can tell your friends and family about. You only got a few more days to do it, so I would just encourage you to start telling everybody. Put it on your Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it anywhere you want, but drive people to the site knowing that when they go to register to win the $20,000 prize, they will hear the full message of the gospel. And they're going to hear law and gospel. They're going to hear that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you're going to prevent, and you basically present Christ and Him crucified for our sins as the solution to the fact that they haven't kept the Ten Commandments. Right, and that's where I think the commandments, you know, the viable purpose, the purpose for which God gave them was to, you know, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Right. The sick won't seek a cure unless they know they're sick. So the commandments for me, I've always looked at it as almost like an x-ray of the heart, where if you're sick and you go to the doctor, he does some tests, he does some exams, and this gets people to examine themselves in the light of God's law to see how far they truly fall short of God's standard of perfection. So. Once they see they're sick, hey, now they'll seek the cure. Once they see they're a sinner, they'll seek the Savior. Well, there you go. It's kind of a different spin on being seeker-sensitive, I guess, huh? So- well, you know, if, if I was wanting to be on the broad and wide, yeah, I'd be seeker-sensitive. I'd be an ear tickler. I'd tell people what they want to hear. Sadly, I know there's a lot of people out there today who've come to Christ for the wrong reasons. They've come to Christ for life enhancement, health, wealth, prosperity, and so on. And I don't really blame them. I blame the people who preach that message. Right. Um, who wouldn't want to come to Jesus if they thought he'd solve all their problems? I mean, uh, 
you know, that sounds like a good enough reason to me. Wow, okay, what, I don't go to hell, plus he's going to get make me healthy and wealthy and wise, and wow, great, yeah, give me that Jesus thing. But sadly, all too often what's happening, and we see it throughout the, uh, especially in this country, throughout uh, the churches here in America, but, you know, people come to Christ for the wrong reason, and then when they get what Jesus promised, trials, tribulations, temptations, and persecution, mm-hmm. they quickly fade away for the work's sake. They become one of those stony ground or thorny bush hears that Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower. So what we want to do is, is, and what I commonly do, is what Jesus did, what the apostles did. We use law with the proud to plow up that hard heart. So when you plant the seed of the gospel, it finds good soil in their heart. They receive the word, not just with joy and gladness, but out of gratitude for God's grace. They realize they're not deserving of the amazing grace that God offers. Well, <clears throat> excellent, excellent points there. Um, good stuff. So this Friday, sometime during the day, you're going to be making random phone calls to the people who've registered at 10andwind.com, and if they can recite the uh, uh, the commandments in order as they are laid out at the 10 and Win website uh, in within 20 seconds, then... Uh, uh, then they win twenty grand. They win twenty thousand dollars in no sense like me. And yep. you're and you're not going to send them. The, you're not going to sell their their information to uh, you know like you know Fortune magazine or something like that. <laughs> yeah, to Christianity Today or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, we're not going to put anybody on a mailing list. There's no ads on the website. Um, you know, we're not trying to sell you some scam. Wow, it's the real deal. And and. It's simply just a challenge. I did it primarily so the gospel would be preached. But two, I was honestly intrigued that while 90-some-odd percent of the people in America say they believe in God, that same 90%, 95% of them couldn't even name the Ten Commandments, much less name them in order. So I think it's odd when you think of the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, mm-hmm. how many gods people have created in their own mind or their own heart or in their lives they worship Everybody, as you know, uh, Chris, everybody worships something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sadly, most of them aren't worshiping God. They worship love. They worship relationships. They worship money. They worship their work. They worship themselves. They worship, uh, you know, athletes or actors or, or, or rock stars or what have you. But uh, God, interestingly enough, made that the first and foremost of the commandments that we shall have no other gods before him. And so... Right. I find it interesting that those who say they believe in God can't even name his ten laws of life and liberty. So, uh, you know, how much could they really love God? How much could they really be putting God first when they don't even know the Ten Commandments? Well, that's kind of the point of the Ten Commandments is to show them that they don't. (laughs) Right. And it's interesting if you go to the tenandwin.com, that's spelled out T-E-N-A-N-D-W-I-N.com, one thing that I would encourage people to do is watch that first intro video because we actually show clips of people that we went out on the streets and asked them hey could you name 10 beers and they readily and often could do that if we said name 10 sports teams well they could do that too how about 10 celebrities boy they could do that but when we asked them can you name the 10 commandments or hey now name the 10 commandments you get a collective hmm <laughs> you know they were they would stumble and, and they were stumped and, yeah. and at the same time the common comment you would hear is, you know, I should really know these. And, in fact, there was other people who said everybody should know these. So it was interesting how conviction came over them as well when they were confronted with the fact they could name ten beers or ten athletes or what have you, but they couldn't name God's ten laws. And I think it was 
not just a way to help show them how far from God they've really become, that maybe their lips serve them, but their hearts are far from them, but it, it's a great illustration of how far we've fallen from God's grace in this country today. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, you and I, we've talked about, uh, you know, in our private conversations how, you know, it, it really the, the church seems to have gotten off the rails, and yet Christians are the, the first to complain about the fact that, uh, that you know, this coming Christmas, there's going to be atheist groups trying to get rid of, uh, uh, you know, Jesus and uh, and the nativity scenes out on public property and things like that. And yet, uh, a lot of these churches, uh, they don't even have crosses anymore, and they don't preach God's word. You know, I well, don't... and moreover, what a huge opportunity! You know, I look at opportunity. You know, obstacles are opportunities in disguise. Mm-hmm. The most successful men in the whole course of history took obstacles or problems and turn them into opportunities. And in the same way, I think we could, we as a church or as an individual Christian could look at that as a huge problem or a huge opportunity. You know, if you're going to have people out there protesting the things of God or church or Jesus or a nativity scene or a cross, all the more reason why they need Christ. Right. He is the answer. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So why not get up, get out, and get busy doing what Christ commands of us, and that is to share the gospel and to make disciples of those people. So, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I often look at those people as those are, oh, those are the best warriors for Christ once they get saved. The people that were farthest from God are usually those who are most grateful for his grace. You know, in other words, little sin, you'll have little love, mm-hmm. right? If you've got big sin and big forgiveness, you're going to have big love for a big God, who was able to, you know, reconcile you back to himself. So, you know, those same people who are hard-hearted, angry atheists, if you will, ultimately when God gets a hold of their heart and transforms them and turns them into a new creation, man, those people are on fire for God. Mm. So I look at those people as opportunity, not as an obstacle to uh, our, our faith. Uh, I think those are the people, we, those are our target, target audience. It's why... When we do what's called open-air preaching, there's a lot of people who stand up on stools and they preach a lot of hell, fire, turn and burn, you know, kind of stuff. And I, frankly, I, I just don't, I'm not that way, you know. I try to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. That's what made me, you know, decide to do the whole ten and win thing. Because along that same line, I'll stand up and do what I call questions for cash. And I'll give dollar bills away and ask just secular questions. Questions like, you know, what was the first word ever spoken on the moon? Do you know the answer, by the way? The first word, now this would be... The very first word they ever spoke after they landed on the moon. While they're in the capsule or outside of the capsule? Well, they're landed, they're in the capsule. So first word spoken on the moon. No, I don't know. Houston. <laughs> Houston. Well, aren't you from the Texas? Has landed. In, so, are, you're from Texas, that, that's cheating. Yeah, well, and then I'll even follow it up with a little trick question. What's the fourth most populated city in America? Same answer, Houston. Houston. So, um, no, no, no preference there at all. But, but you know what happens? Or well, I'll just ask all kinds of things like, what's the best-selling car of all time? Do you know the answer to that one? Uh, wouldn't that be the Volkswagen Beetle? Yeah, Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. So, you, you know, we'll ask questions like, what's the world's most popular cookie? The Oreo. So, you know, people will come closer as I start to give dollar bills away for each one of these questions. When someone calls out the right answer, I give them the money. Uh huh. And Jesus says, you love God or money. You can't serve two masters. So I figure I don't want to preach to the choir. I don't want to preach to the converted. I want to preach to the lost. So what I do is start giving dollar bills away, and those who hate God, they love money, and they come running. 
And pretty soon I got a crowd of about 100, 200 people. And then I upped the, up the ante to 20 bucks. And I said, I'm going to give this to anybody who can prove they're a good person. Okay? Who here thinks they're a good person? Raise your hand. And of course, lots of people raise their hand. And I just go off the leading of the Lord and I pick one out. And then I say, okay, we're going to use a standard that every one of us here could agree is a good moral standard to live your life by. Even if you don't believe in God, you'll agree this is a good moral standard. The Ten Commandments, is that a good moral standard? And they're all, yeah, yeah, that's a good moral standard. Do you think you've kept them? And they're like, oh, yeah, pretty much. Never killed anybody, you know. <laughs> like, great, don't start now because I'm going to take you through those commandments. It may be a little <laughs> uncomfortable, and you might just want to kill me, but don't do that. Go ahead and go through this because the story gets better in the end. And so then I'll take them through a few of the commandments, and once you see they've been humbled by the law, then the good news becomes good news. Right. And uh, the cross no longer is foolishness because they see that they're perishing. They see that they're in big trouble on the day they stand before God if he gives them justice. In right. fact, I, I often wonder why it is people think that if they break the law here in society, if they do the crime, they know they'll do the time or they got to pay the fine. Right. Yet, and they believe that a good judge will punish the guilty criminal. Right. To do anything less than that would not mean that the judge must be corrupt if he didn't punish the guilty criminal. Uh -huh. And yet, by that same definition, if God is good, and most agree that he is, then shouldn't he also have to punish the guilty? That's that. I think that's a fair question. I mean, nowadays, I mean, I, I've heard of judges. You know, there's some elected judges who've lost their seats because they 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 weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They were being too lenient on on criminals, and so I mean, people want hanging judges. They they want the judges that are going to throw the book at people, but they don't want God to do that. That's right. In fact, on a personal level, I often ask people, "Look, I hope and pray this never happens, but what if somebody kidnapped your mother, did horrible, unspeakable things to her, and then murdered her?" And a year later, they catch up with the guy. The evidence is overwhelming. He even confesses to the crime. He says, Judge, I admit it. I did it. I was wrong. I feel really bad. But I hear you're a good, kind, and loving, gentle man. And because I'm so sorry, in fact, I turned over a new leaf. Ever since I did that horrible thing to her, you know, I've been crossing old ladies across the street. I buy Girl Scout cookies. I donate my time and money to the United Way and Red Cross. And I even go to church now. You know, I read my Bible. I sing songs. Judge, I'm really sorry. Please let me go. Uh -huh. now, then I turn to the person. I say, now, if the judge just let that guy go because he said he was sorry and he turned over a new leaf, <laughs> would you think the judge was a good judge? And they were like, no. I've never had anybody say, oh, yeah, he was a good judge. No, they all agree. No, he, that's horrible. He should never let that guy go. And I say, well, then, if you're guilty on the day you stand before God for breaking his laws, do you think God's going to punish you, too? Like a good judge, isn't he bound by the law to make sure justice is served? Uh-huh. And they're like, well, yeah. And, and, and when you put it in that perspective, I think people start to get it, that God's love is an agape kind of love, but at the same time, he is just. Right. And he is good. And because of his goodness, that same thing people are counting on in the end to save them, his goodness, is actually the thing that's going to condemn them in the end. Right. Because he is good, he by no means will clear the guilty. He has to punish them because the law requires it. And that's where Christ stepped into time and space, right? We broke the law, but God loved us so much, he sent his only son to step into time and space and pay the fine for the crimes that we committed. I cannot argue with that. It's, it, you know, I got to tell you, one of the things I enjoy about talking with you is that you and I come from two completely different uh, uh, 
different uh, denominations and, and, and theological upbringings. I mean, here, I'm a confessional Lutheran. You, you sound like you're garden variety, maybe Reformed Baptist type to me. Yeah, I guess I was about closest to Baptist is, is – but I'm, I consider myself non-denominational. But yeah, right. And uh, the the one thing I you know I, I I always appreciate in talking with you is that uh, you use the law lawfully, and and by doing that, you are able to then turn around and offer people the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. And uh, again, that just it always scores such huge points, and not just in my mind, but I think that's I think that's being faithful to the text as far as what we're called to proclaim: repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Well, and, how can a man repent if he doesn't even know what sin is? Well, don't get logical but, on me, Daryl. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it's so important that pastors or clergy, ministers, and individual Christians, you know, probe a little bit. I, I, I have four simple steps I teach people on how to communicate anything. It's called iPod, I-P-O-D, I being introduction or an icebreaker of some kind, break the ice with people, and then P, you know, probe, ask questions, find out who they are, what they think, what they believe in, you know, what they know about the things of God and so on. Then O, offer the gospel. Now, always, without exception, you'll see Jesus, when he offers the gospel, it's law to the proud, grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. So once I've probed and i found out where this person's at, I know whether to give them law to soften up that hard heart so that it's prepared for the good news of, of the gospel when you give it to them. Or if they're already humble, if they're at the end of the rope looking for hope, they're broken like the woman caught in the act of adultery, you don't see Jesus give that woman law. Right. He, he first turns to the proud, the self-righteous, those who are about to stone her to death, and he uses the law on them, right? He sums it up by simply saying he is without sin cast the first stone. He didn't need to quote the commandments to those guys. They meditated on the law day and night. Right. They knew the law backwards and forwards. And so when he said he is without sin cast the first stone, they all knew what sin is. Sin is transgression of the law, First John 3, 4, right? Mm. So they knew they were sinners, and they knew they were guilty, and therefore their consciences, the Bible says, convicting them one by one, they drop their stone and walk away. But notice... The law had already done its job on the woman caught in the act of, the, of adultery. Right. right? It, 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 the function, in fact, it's a great illustration that the law of God drove her to the feet of the Son of God. Right. And that's what the law should do. That's the intended purpose of the law is to drive us to the foot of a bloodstained cross where we can find forgiveness of sin, where we can find uh, reconciliation with God. Right. And be set free from our sin and from judgment and from hell and given what we don't deserve, the gift of eternal life in heaven, and have a relationship with God once again. So uh, all too often, you know, sadly, you see people who come to Christ because, well, I like Ray Comfort's analogy, the best of the two men on an airplane. Have you ever heard it? I, is it the one in his video that he uses about the yeah, parachute? In other words, if you go to the first guy and you say, hey, put this parachute on because it's really going to improve your flight. You're going to have peace and joy and lasting happiness. Man, that's going to be the greatest flight of your life. Well, the guy might put the parachute on in an experimental fashion to see if the claim is true. Right. But what happens? A few minutes after he puts the parachute on, he notices it's kind of tied around his waist. It's uncomfortable. It's cumbersome. He can't lean back in his seat. In fact, eventually he notices other passengers notice him wearing the parachute, and they start to snicker and make funny comments behind his back. So what happens? Disillusionment fills the guy's heart. He peels the parachute off. He throws it on the ground, and as far as he's concerned, it'll be a long time until somebody gets one of those on him again. Right. He's bitter towards those who gave him the parachute because he feels like he was told an outright lie, and so he has. But if instead we go to passenger two and we say, hey, sir, put this parachute on because any minute 
you're going to jump 10,000 feet from this airplane, and this parachute is going to save your life from the jump to come. Now, he doesn't mind the weight of the parachute. He doesn't care he can't lean back in his seat. And then if other passengers mock and make fun of him, he doesn't get angry or bitter or embarrassed. No, he has heartfelt sympathy for them because he knows what their fate will be when they have to jump without the parachute. Right. So if we're good and true and faithful witnesses for Christ, we ought not to tell people, come to Jesus, he'll solve all your problems, he'll give you health, wealth, and prosperity. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth. Right. No, you need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like you put on that parachute, put your full faith and trust in it, just like you would if you were going to jump out of that plane. And then, and only then, when we surrender and we put our faith and trust in him, can we be set free, can we be saved? If we come for the wrong reason, what happens all too often is we create another inoculated and bitter backslider. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the 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 stats bear that out. I mean, you know, these these seeker-driven churches, I mean, the the studies show that the average amount of times a family or a people stay at one of those seeker-driven churches is just a little bit south of 3 years and the number one reason they give for leaving is that uh, they're not being fed. And uh, and these are people who've responded to the marketing pieces, you know, where that, that sell Jesus in such a way that he's going to make your marriage better, he's going to give you better behaved children, he's going to he's going to give you a more fulfilling career, he's going to make things spicier in the bedroom between you and your wife. Um, and uh, when they leave, they're going nowhere. It, 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 they've pretty much at that point been inoculated against Christianity. Yeah, and sadly, then the hardest people in the world, I think, to get saved are those who think they've given this Jesus thing a try, and it didn't work for them. But they came for the wrong reason. And once again, it's just sad to see so many inoculated people uh, when, in fact, if they were told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth right from the beginning, things may have turned out differently. Well, this is true, and God's it's through the preaching of the gospel that God gives people repentance and faith. So, again... Yeah, godly sorrow that works repentance, right? It, exactly. So yeah, and, it, and when they see their sorrow in a, in a, in a uh, vertical form and not a horizontal one, then they understand their, their sins primarily between them and God. It's that wall of sin and shame that, that separates them from God. And without Christ, there's no way to break that wall down. Right. And without the preaching of the law, the the, the cross doesn't make any sense. It. I mean, why do we need a Savior dying on a cross? I mean, the, and and over and again, I'm amazed that uh, the people who try to soft sell Jesus or they bought into some liberal theology, they can't explain the, the what Jesus was doing on the cross with any kind of biblical coherence. Well, I guess the question preachers ought to always ask themselves before they preach any message is, would this preach in India? Would this preach in China? Would this preach in Africa? Because you go to some poor African who doesn't even, can't even afford a pair of shoes, and you tell him, come to Jesus, he's going to give you a big mansion on the hill. If you sow $1,000, we'll give you 10000 back. That's not going to fly there, which tells you it's just not the biblical truth. Right. God's truth can be preached anywhere. If, if if it's true, it's going to resonate with all hearts and all minds all over this planet. But when it's a false gospel, then it, it may work in little pockets of places, but it's not going to work everywhere. Now, I do want to make one thing clear. Is peace, joy, love, gentleness, patience, and so on, are those legitimate benefits of salvation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have peace and joy in knowing that you know my fate when I die, I'm going to be standing before holy, just, and righteous God, and instead of seeing every sin I've ever committed, he's going to see the blood of Christ cover that sin. So, yep. you know, I have joy in knowing that. I know 
Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when I have, uh, well, let's go back to that airplane analogy. Let's say the flight attendant's walking down the aisle, and she spills hot coffee all over the lap of passenger two, the guy who put the parachute on to escape the jump to come. Now, does he feel the coffee burn his tender flesh? Absolutely. Does he go, ow, man, that hurt? For sure. But does he peel the parachute off and throw it on the ground and say, hey, you stupid parachute? No. No, why should he? He didn't put the parachute on to improve his flight but to escape the jump to come. Mm -hmm. If anything, the incident would probably cause him to cling closer to the parachute and even start to look forward to the jump to come. Yeah. Right? He can't wait to get off the flight. So in the same way, if, we, if we've been soundly saved, if we truly had an encounter with Christ, when trials, tribulations, temptations, and persecutions come, they won't, we won't peel off the Savior like that parachute. No, we'll cling closer to him through the tough times, and our faith will be improved or, or, or increased, in, in our, in, and we'll see God supernaturally show up and radically do some amazing things in our hearts and minds and lives. But sadly, once again, I think all too often people come to God for the wrong reason, and then ultimately they start to pray prayers of, of what I call the cosmic butler prayer, where they turn God into their servant, and uh, they say, oh, God, give me that new house. Oh, God, give me that promotion. Oh, God, I know you want me to be you know, a champion. You want me to be a victor, so let me win in that basketball game tomorrow. You know, <laughs> instead of coming to God, I often look at it as in a courtroom. If you were guilty of breaking several serious you know, laws and you owed a million-dollar fine, you couldn't pay it, so they're hauling you off to do life in prison, if some guy stepped into the courtroom and paid the fine for you, you wouldn't turn to him and say, hey, man, uh, you know, I've been locked up for a while. My lawn needs mowing. Do you think you could mow my lawn for me, too? And by the way, I could, could I borrow some money because I'm broke? You know, I haven't had a job or anything. No, you'd be so grateful. You'd be so thankful. You'd be so overwhelmed by his act of grace and love and self-sacrifice. You would fall to his feet and say, what could I do for you? Uh-huh. And in the same way, if we're truly grateful for God's grace, we won't come to him saying, God, what can you do for me? We'll say, God, what can I do for you? You know, take me, make me, mold me into the man you want me to be. I'm, I'm yielding my will to yours. I'm wielding, you know, I'm yielding all that I have to you. And I think that's where people forget that God, sure, he wants us to, uh, he wants to hear our prayers. He wants to help us. He wants to answer our prayers. But we have not, maybe because we ask not, but all too often, I don't think it's because people aren't asking. It's because they ask with the wrong motives that they may use what they get for themselves and not to further the kingdom or to serve others. Right. All right. Well, Daryl, again, the uh, the drawing is this Friday, uh, November the 13th. And uh, if you want to register, people can still register at 10endwin.com. And uh, you're going to be out of the goodness of your heart uh, uh, blessing somebody with uh, $20,000. And I'm sure there's a ton of people out there who could... Uh, who could use uh, that type of a gift. So we appreciate you using the uh, wealth that God has given you to advance the kingdom of God and to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And uh, we'll be uh, praying for you and for the for the person whom the Lord chooses to uh, uh, bless that money with. My pleasure. Once uh, again, hey, I thank God for you. All right. Thank you, too. All right. Bye-bye. So that was my interview with Daryl Rundus. And again, you know, it's so obvious in listening to him that you know he spent time with uh, with the way of the master guys. I mean, a lot of his approach is uh, similar, and the language he uses is similar to the way of the master guys. And Del Rundus has he's not been to Bible college. He's not 
he is not a professional theologian. And the one thing, though, you know, despite all of that, this guy understands law and gospel and uses that to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And he he wants to give away his money (laughs) to advance the kingdom. And now I know that it it sounds gimmicky and stuff. And, uh, you know, put that aside, uh, though, he's not preaching a false gospel. He's proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins and doing using the resources God has given him in order to uh, get that opportunity. So when we come back from our first break, and I know everything's late today, We'll be uh, I'll be playing my interview with Marcus Pittman and his experience at Wave Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Again, apparently, uh, the last place you want to uh, actually tell somebody the gospel is inside of a mega church because you're going to be um, escorted uh, roughly off of the property if you do that. So we're going to be listening to his story, and then in hour number two, which everything's late today. Again, hour number two when we you know when we get into it proper. Our sermon review today will be from Wave Church, and it's on self-esteem, preached by Steve Kelly uh, there at Wave Church in Virginia Beach. All right, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, I do read all my emails, and I know I'm, I'm backlogged and responding to them. Trust me, I will get to them. Uh, you can email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. resurrection 
was a hoax. Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Warning, if you think Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you can have a big padded, big old bank account and a beamer in all ten of your uh, garage stalls, you are believing a heresy and you're going to hell. Repent and believe the true good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that the way of Christianity is one of taking up your cross daily and following him, not padding your bank account so that you can count your wealth and say, oh, look, at God must love me because I, I, I have enough faith. That's a heresy. Just want to point that out. All right. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means uh, your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to others. In fact, your gifts make it possible for us to continue. And right now we are looking for 1,000 of our listeners to join the Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew it's a mere six dollars and 95 cents a month it automatically comes out of your account and uh, when we get to a thousand listeners that that guarantees that at least on a on a monthly basis that we have the minimum we need to in order to operate so we definitely don't want to put this off join the fighting for the faith pirate pirate christian radio crew today to do so go to fightingforthefaith.com click on the join our crew button and fill that all out and 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 once you do uh, every couple of days, I sit down and, and go through the, diff- the new subscriptions and send out a- uh, information on how to access our secret pirate Christian cove, which is a growing treasure trove of theological resources designed to help you grow deeper in God's word and uh, in good doctrine and theology. All right. Uh, and if you'd like to donate above and beyond that, you can do so at, uh, again, click on the donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Again, I know we're running a little bit behind, but this next segment is going to be an interview with Marcus Pittman of, of, Pittman of uh, TransplantMinistries.com. And he's going to regale us with his story of visiting one of the, uh, uh, big prosperity mega churches in his neck of the woods and uh, how uh, how he got kicked out of that church 
and uh, security escorted him off the campus. It's not because he was contentious, but uh, you'll see what uh, we're talking about here. So here is my interview with Marcus Pittman. All right, on the line I have uh, Marcus Pittman of uh, TransplantMinistries.com, and uh, he, he has contacted me via Twitter and Facebook, and uh, and Marcus and I have actually had a few exchanges on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and I consider ourselves to be cyber friends of sorts. And uh, he's uh, he also does some uh, you know, bold street preaching for Jesus Christ, going out and proclaiming law and gospel and uh, repentance uh, and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Marcus, thanks for coming on Fighting for the Faith. Thanks, Chris. All right, so you, you sent me this Twitter basically uh, telling me about something that happened to you this weekend at a, quote, Christian church in there in uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. Uh, walk me through the series of events that occurred here, which which resulted in you being manhandled and, uh, and kicked out of this church, if you would. Right. Um, well, this is uh, the second time we've gone there. The first time I went there, I just went there to you know pass out tracks, and I passed out one track to a security guard. Apparently, they were undercover, or they went and told a security guard that I was distributing gospel literature in their church and so whoa, 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 um, wait wait a second wait a second well <laughs> this is this sounds kind of bizarre you went to hand out gospel literature at a church yes that's not your um, normal evangelism target i mean most people they they don't think you know i better go evangelize those people at that church <laughs> what yeah well we do we do a lot of street ministry uh-huh and so um in virginia beach area especially on the boardwalk and some of the um angriest, venomous, uh, vile people that we run into while we're preaching the gospel are people that go to this church. Okay. And so um, they cuss and swear at us. And um, Okay, and now, so, uh, listen, I don't have a problem naming the church. We're actually going to do a sermon review. The name of the church yes. is Wave Church. Wave Church, and it is an offshoot of the Hillsong Church. Hillsong down in Australia. Right. Okay, which is it fully buys into the whole prosperity heresy. Okay, so you do some street preaching out on the boardwalk down in Virginia Beach, and some of the vilest hecklers that you've received are people who actually attend Wave Church. Yeah, it's a huge church. It's, it's all over. It's all over, and so um, really, I, you look in the Bible and you see that Paul went to the temples and and stuff, and 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 they tell us they say, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this. You should, you know, if you're going to preach, you should do it at church. So. We thought, well, you know, why not go to their church and talk to them? Um, and, and I want to be very clear, we, we don't go there, and we don't make a big scene, and we don't, like, stand up in the middle of the service and 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 do all that stuff. So you, you, that, you didn't have your God Hates uh, Wave Church signs, uh, <laughs> like Westboro and the, the Shirley Phelps Roper crowd, right? No, we even wore T-shirt and jeans, just like everybody else there. Well, that's and, the and new so, uniform. I mean, I, I mean, if you show up at church with a suit and tie, then that shows that you're not saved. Right, and and so you know, and I think it's important if you're going to be doing ministry in an area to to be acquainted with what people are learning at the local churches and stuff, and and it's important. So even just to go there and visit, so you know, you know what you're dealing with. Okay, it's just it's important, and, and so um. Um, the reason we went back the second time, um, the reason we went back the second time is I have been in discussions via text messages with the pa- the associate pastor. His name is Carl. Got it. And uh, um, and I I've been text messaging him. It was actually a tweet 
uh, that his wife sent, and I responded to what his wife said, and uh, he realized that uh, I was on Facebook and sent me a Facebook message uh, asking me not to talk to his wife anymore on Twitter, which I agreed to because he's the man of the household, and and he asked me to do that, and I agreed. Well, did you and tell so, her that her cooking stunk? What I mean, that's I mean, that's a pretty severe thing. If, I mean. I don't care who my wife talks to as long as they aren't, uh, you know, threatening her. I mean, did you threaten uh, the Pastor Carl's wife? She sent a tweet out that said uh, something along the lines of, I know Jesus loves me because my airline seats go all the way back. And I responded, with, well, <laughs> what? what about the Christians in China who are being killed? Does Jesus love them too? Right. And so uh, that was the response. And he realized that I added him as a friend on Facebook and so he sent me a long message asking me not to speak to his wife anymore and agreeing to meet me for coffee. Okay, hold sometime. on a second here. I, I want to make sure my listeners understand. Um, so she said that she knows that Jesus loves her because her airline seats go all the way back. Does that mean that she was flying first class? What, what do you think that's referencing there? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It seemed like it was this prosperity sort of Okay. You know, it was just it was just a shallow, you know, Jesus loves me because, you know, I I'm having a good life right now. Got it. Okay. And so anyway, he he he's been text messaging me. So so anyway, um he's been promising that he would meet me for coffee sometime and he always sets the time and the date, but he never quite tells me the place. Okay. So we never we never exactly settle on when we're going to go meet for coffee, and he says he wants to do it, but we've never it's always been him not contacting me back and telling me where. Okay, so he so, he pretty much gives you the runaround. He's been giving you the runaround, and you know, but nothing nothing gives there, huh? You know, to be fair, he is the associate pastor of a mega church, so. Ah, okay. well, that explains nothing. But go on. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, okay. So, so um, anyway, before we came uh, Sunday, I I text messaged him. And I, I let him know that we were coming, and I want to get the text messages right. So let me let me I get this. Uh, he responded, and he told me uh, that uh, I asked him, I said, "Are you preaching tonight? Me and my friend are going to show up." And he responded, "Bro, I'm not, but it's going to be a great service. Love to hook up this week. Come say hi after we find a way to do it. Um, hope you're well." All right. So it sounds like he pretty much, you know, he was ha he was happy that you were going to be there, almost in an invitational invitational kind of way. Yeah, it was right, exactly. Okay. So again, like it wasn't like we were going to storm the doors of the church, you know, like you know Martin Luther or anything. Okay, so you kinda... you didn't bring a hammer, no nails, no theses, no, nothing like that. Not nothing. And nothing. and just a t-shirt and jeans and no God hates uh, wave church signs and. <laughs> And you weren't wearing a clown suit and a clown nose with a John 316 sign? Nothing like that? Nothing. Nothing. Amazing. Okay. All right. So, so there we go. Now you, you, so you decided to show up at this church, and it's, it's, is it a Veterans Day affair? What, what's going on? Um, it is a Veterans Day service, and in Virginia Beach is a huge military um, area. So there's all kinds of naval bases, uh, one major naval base in every city. A vast majority of the population here is military, so okay. a veteran service is, is a big deal. And so there is a lot of military people there. My friend Aaron is in the military, and so he knew some of his friends that were going to be there that, that's been bragging about the church. So it was okay. a good night to go. All right. Um, and so we were invited. 
Um, so, so during the service, um, we were sat down. We were uh, sat down by. Well, I, let me mention this. Um, when we got there, well, there wasn't room, so we were standing up, and I decided I was going to take pictures of the uh, stage because it's really magnificent. I mean, they put a lot of money into this service. It's an $18 million building and a, a lot of fancy video stuff. And so I, was, I took a picture on my camera phone, and it made a flash, and I had somebody uh, immediately come up to me and say, um, please do not take pictures of the service because it's copyrighted. <laughs> Okay. I'm thinking, what if I'm a tither? Isn't it like my church too? Right. Yeah. So, so apparently, you know, it's like like Disneyland. No flash photography, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, because it's it's copyrighted. I mean, the the way they do it. I mean, that that's Wave Church is so original, so cutting edge, and they've spent 18 million bucks. They don't they don't want the secret getting out via hidden camera phones. It's copyrighted. It oh, is. I know. It's, man. It's, 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 it was quite amazing. Okay, I, anyway, I, I get so, the feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. Okay, all right. No, no. All right. So, so, so we got we got to the seats, and um, um, we, we were sat down by this lady. Her name was Angela. Okay. And um, Angela um, was apparently distracted by us during the service um, because if, if you listen to his sermon, he speaks really quickly. And he has a and thick so, Australian accent too. I mean, a, yeah, it, it's really hard to understand. So, uh, me and my friend Aaron were going back and forth trying to figure out exactly the deal. You know, because okay. like, he would throw out Bible verses, and, and to his credit, let, let me just be very honest here. He gave a somewhat adequate, not complete, but somewhat adequate gospel. Okay. He talked about the crucifixion of Christ. He mentioned sin, the holiness and justice of God, mm-hmm. um, but it was distorted because it was applied in a way that Jesus did all this not for your sin, your wickedness, and your your depravity, but because you know your good life. Ah, you okay. Want to have a good life, and so it's not really about sin. He did die for your sin, probably in the context of sin gives you a bad life. Okay, um, and so. And so it was sort of like distorted and skewed. And he also said something really strange. Um, he said while Jesus was on the cross, he took the sin, sickness, and disease of the whole world. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> I'm a Lutheran. So I would say, yeah, he took the sins of the world upon himself, but the sickness and the disease of the world? Right. I agree with the sins. I agree with the sins, but uh, sickness and disease... Okay, so okay, that that's a little bit different. So, so this is this is you know in typical Hillsong fashion, what we're dealing with here is the prosperity heresy. Okay, right. so Jesus basically came to have let you have your best life now, and his uh, death on the cross is so that uh, you can have your seats uh, go all the way back, which means that uh, you can fly first class. Okay, so there we go, and uh, that, which probably explains why they have so many people attending. Because boy, that's that's something that would really sell really well. <clears throat> okay, so uh, so you're trying to track along in the service here with the how he's using the Bible, and it's just not quite. You're, you're a little, you're having a tough time because he's taking stuff out of context and proof texting, and it's going rather quickly. And uh, so you and your buddy there, you were distracting Angela and trying to get the proper context for these Bible verses? Right. 
right, right. And 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 afterwards, um, she came up to us, and she she uh, very important here. She came to us first. Okay, so, so you you, would, you didn't actually identify her as a sinner who you needed to pull your bull, bullhorn out and start blasting her in the face. You, she came no. to you. Yeah, she came to us and said that we were being very distracting during service and that we should find our own way to worship. Um, <laughs> Yeah, listen, you're flipping through the Bible and trying to figure out what the pastor's saying. I mean, you're distracting me. Yeah. Well, uh, well I apologized to her. Okay. I apologized to her, and I said, you know what? I'm sorry. We we might have been, you know, we might have talked a little bit during the service and whatnot, and and I apologize. Um, tell me what you think about this church. Uh huh. And she's like, well, you know, I really like it. I was like, how long you've gone here? Just I asked her. Regular questions that you would ask anybody if you were visiting a church for the first time. Okay, so you know, general, how do you like it here? What do you like the most about this church? Those kind of t- types of questions. Right. Okay. And she responded, and so I said, "Well, what do you think of the gospel presentation that was just um, preached?" Okay. And that that's when she she was like, "You know, well, it was really good." And I was like, "Well, could you explain the gospel to me then?" And so this is all within the same conversation. You know, we just transcended from, you know, about the church to the, the sermon that was preached. And, and she said, well, I can't really do that because it's really complicated, the gospel. And I was like, hmm. well, well, let me do that. Let me do it for you. Okay. And so um, then I explained to her, you know, you know, you know just the, the basic, you know, you know, the, the, you know, these are the Ten Commandments you've broken. Right. Um, this is why Christ came and died. Okay. Um, and this is how you get saved uh, yeah. by repenting and turning from your sin. Okay. And she's like, yeah, I know. You have to do that every single day. And I'm like, well, no, you don't. You don't have to do that every day. And and it became very clear to me um, because of the altar call that was presented during the service. It's a very quick well, wave your hand if you just said that prayer. Uh huh. Um, and if you've backslidden, you're not living right for the Lord. Just wave your hand if you said that prayer. Just repeat these words. Um, no repentance in the in the prayer that was mentioned or anything. Okay, so, so there's no assurance of salvation then for this lady. Um, no, it's, she's under law. Okay, and and oh, right, so she's under the law. Did you give her the gospel? We did. Okay, we did. look, we, we we made it very clear that once Christ saves you, He will give you peace. And that um, you will be protected by him. Uh-huh. Um, no one can remove you from his hands. Uh-huh. And that um, once you're saved, you will hate your sin continually, and you'll grow in holiness like Christ. Okay, and, so and you, 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 again, you, so you gave her the law to show her her sins. You gave her the gospel and offered her assurance of salvation in Christ, and then talked about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and mortifying our flesh, and uh, and basically turning us from our sins. Right. Right, and right. this is standard stuff for you in a church. I mean, I you know, and how how did she handle it? Um, she she she. It seemed as if she was she was okay. We shook hands. Okay. Uh, I, I let her know. I said, I said, Angela, you know, I care for you. I, I care for you, and you know, I want you to be saved, and and you know, and and so we shook hands and walked away. That okay. Was it. And so that's when Aaron noticed his Navy friends and said, let's go speak to our Navy friends uh-huh. um, that, I, that I sleep beside in the bunks. And, and so I was like, okay, that's great. And so I think we're talking to his friends for maybe two minutes, and I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's Angela again. Okay. And she looks at me, and she says, hey, can you explain what you were telling me uh, to the pastor? And I looked right beside her, and there he is, Steve Kelly. Right. Okay. 
And uh, I extend my hand and I say, hi, hi, Pastor Steve. My name is Marcus Pittman, and I shake his hand. And at this point, he says, uh, Angela is telling me that every single thing that you hate, every single thing about this church. And I said, <laughs> what? I, I don't recall you saying that. Did you say that? Did you say you hate every single thing about that church? No, 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 okay. not at all. Um, and and so and so uh, I I explained that I was like no 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 I said I, there were some things about your sermon I didn't agree with. Okay. And as soon as I said that, he said that's it. Uh, you're not welcome here. You're not going to come in here. Criticize my church. You're not welcome here. Leave now. And he signaled two security guards that were right beside him um, to take me away. So you conveyed that you didn't agree with some of the things that he said in his sermon. And at that point, he called security and threw you out. That's correct. Wow. um, As I was um, uh, being escorted out, um, I I didn't know what to do. (laughs) Like, what does one do when, like, it's not like we knew we were going to get kicked out when we go there. Like, this was a complete shock. Right. And. I, I honestly believe, like, the anger and, and the attitude of him was very apparent. And, and so I I said, and I, I believe, um, looking back on this, uh, that I, in the Spirit, I looked at him and I said, uh, repent of your man-centered gospel. And at that moment, I was briskly uh, whisked away by security in which he followed me. And he says, the next time you come back, I will use my shepherd's staff. And then I walk out the door. <laughs> Does he intend to hit you on the head with his shepherd's staff? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, so I, apparently at uh, Wave Church, uh, Christ and him crucified for your sins because you have offended a holy and just God by breaking his commandments and falling short and calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is... Uh, Apparently not welcome there, um, and if you show up and uh, share that with uh, people who attend uh, Wave Church, uh, you're, they're likely to have you escorted off the property, especially if you don't fully agree with everything Steve Kelly says. Right, right I guess, I guess. And, and I, I just want to make it clear that, that we we weren't going there to flaunt our theologies. Right. Like, we, 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 we really do care about the people that are entrapped here. Okay. Like, they're entrapped. Uh, by this false gospel, and so it's uh, it's really, really, it was really sad, and especially when we we're being escorted out. And um, so um, they 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 whisked my friend away too. Um, and so we're we're required to walk the long way around the building. Um, um, we walk all the way around the building and uh, escorted by two. Um, security guards. I mean, they they got the earpieces and everything, Chris. Wow. <laughs> like, and so you know, we're, we leave, and you know, we're talking to the security guards, and you know, we're trying to share the gospel with security guards as we're walking out, and you know, we're saying, you know, they they, they kicked Paul out of the temples too, uh-huh. and they're like, oh, you know, well, the security guard said, look, you can't make people afraid of the gospel uh-huh. of God, afraid of God, and I said, well. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And he mm. says, yes, but fear and afraid are not the same thing. Yeah, oh, said, man. What, so they, you, what do you mean? They, they're buying into this prosperity heresy, too. Right. Oh, oh right. And, and it's like, what do you mean the fear of God and being afraid of God is, is, is not the same thing? Uh-huh. 
But but anyway, so we got in our cars, and oh, I, I want to back up real quick because while I was being walking to the car, I text messaged uh, Carl. Right. Um, because I was supposed to meet him. Remember. Right. Yeah. Pastor. And I said, uh, we're being kicked out. Coffee later, huh? That's what I said. Uh-huh. And uh, he text messages me, and he says, kicked out? You're persecuted? Exclamation point. Dude, nobody kicked you out. Definitely coffee. What are your plans tomorrow? After service, I'm praying with folks for about 30 minutes. So he, does he have his head in the sand about you being kicked out? I, I have no I have no idea. I, I have no idea, because... He's like, nobody kicked you out. And, uh, you know, and so I text messaged him back and I said, uh, Steve Kelly and security personally escorted us off the campus. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, at that point, um, he said, uh, what are you doing that warranted escorting? And um, I was, we were driving back on the way and I didn't respond. But that's when he, he actually called me personally. Right. And, uh, and he tried to, you know, like tone everything down. Um, I'm pretty sure he knows I have a blog and, and an active uh, Twitter account. So uh-huh. I, I think Carl was trying to, you know, calm down the journalist. I, I think see. That's honestly, what he saw me as. Okay. And so, um, uh, you know, just just you know, be calm and you know, just just hold off on everything and whatnot and and whatnot. And I, man, you don't want people talking about the things of God at your church. I was like, what, 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 you don't want, and he's like, no, no, of course not. And, you know, and. <laughs> well, it might mess so, up the show. I mean, don't, don't you understand? They got a, they have a multi-million dollar mortgage and, uh, and a lighting fee to pay for, for their copyrighted, uh, uh, stage there at, uh, Wave <laughs> Church. And I mean, bad PR, especially in these bad economic times, could potentially put a crimp in there uh, and and people actually putting their seed offerings into the plate, you know, in order for them to experience the prosperity of God. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he sent me a text message this morning that uh, asked me not to tweet anything more about the church until we have coffee and talk. And I responded to him and said, I I cannot... um, I would be sinning by omission if I did not let people know of the heresies that are being preached to the church. And so, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get that coffee anymore. I, 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 something tells me you're not going to be on uh, uh, Pastor Carl's uh, Christmas card list. I'm just saying you're probably not going to be invited to uh, the Christmas party that he's going to be holding at his uh, bungalow because, uh, you know, he he is experiencing the, uh, the abundance of... Uh, of what Christ has done by making himself wealthy. I mean, you, you understand, you're basically threatening their financial income, you know, by proclaiming sound biblical doctrine in on their turf. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly believe if somebody were to get on that stage for five minutes and preach the true gospel, um, 95% of the people in that building would walk out in disgust. They'd probably uh, take up the mocha lattes and try to stone you with them. Yeah, and it's 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 sad. It really is sad that you can't even you know go into this place and 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 talk about the things of God. And you know, I've I've heard it said before. You know, well, what if Mormons came in your church and 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 started you know having conversations with people? And I would hope as a pastor that I would be able to send my congregation to the Mormons, and the congregation would be able to defend the true gospel. Right. And and that I would be more than willing to have anybody in my congregation come and listen 
And and so, you know, I know people say, well, this could start a dangerous trend of people of all religions going into churches. And I'm like, well, well, let them come. Our gospel stands. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, right. like, I don't care. Our gospel stands. And, you know, as long as they don't stand up in the middle of service, which I'm not, I don't think I don't agree with. As long as they don't stand up in the middle of the service and, and, and distract the service and they want to talk to people during the service, let them. Let them and, and the congregation should extend the love of Christ to them. Right. Just as any homeless person um, on the street, you know, it's absolutely out, outrageous mm-hmm. that we were kicked out for, for, for talking in a one-on-one conversation with people about the gospel at a, at a, at a so-called church. It's insane. And, and shame on Steve Kelly for, for being above reproach oh, and unable yeah. to, to be able to take any sort of rebuke. Well, I could tell you what uh, Steve Kelly types like to say. They basically say, don't touch God's anointed as if he's the anointed. And keep in mind that the funny thing about that particular uh, argument that these guys make is that they are above reproach because they are God's anointed is that the, the term, the, the word Messiah uh, the term Christ, yeah, that's it means the anointed ones. And so what these guys really are claiming is a messianic title for themselves by claiming that they're God's anointed. And these are exactly the type of people that Christ warned us about. He says that in the last days there will be false Christs and false prophets. And so when somebody claims to be anointed and above reproach because you can't touch God's anointed, that's a false Christ. And in the literal sense of what that term means there uh, in that passage. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place. Yep. So I want to challenge, you know, your listeners, you know, if if you have any mega secret churches, go into the churches and talk to the people. Um, I I find um, that the youth in those churches are really open to talking about um, deep theology. Right. Like if you can go into one of those churches and you find a group of five or six kids— just go and speak to them. They are more than open to talk about. You know, they're, they're in church. You know, that, that's what they think they're there to do. So, <laughs> so I mean, they're right. they're a good group of people. But I, but I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like Steve Kelly's church. It has like undercover guys who just go and snitch people out. Well, you know what was funny when I met with Rick Warren uh, with uh, Bob Duway. I mean, I, I kid you not. I thought he you know he was the president of the United States. His security detail looked like. Uh, undercover, they, well, not undercover. He looked like, uh, you know, the Secret Service guys that uh, protect the president. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, if I had made an uh, you know, a quick move to grab something from the inner coat of my pocket, I think they would have gunned me down. If unless I had said, For, "I'm going to put put my hand in my pocket and grab some gum," I, you know, that I mean, that's what we're talking about. So, I mean, what kind of pastors need that kind of security detail? I mean, aren't they supposed to be proclaiming? repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Why are they building these empires to themselves? I mean, basically what you're describing here uh, of uh, Pastor Kelly's uh, reaction is is that you threatened his empire. Yeah, well, it's, it's a shame. It's, it's, a, it's, a tra- it's a tragedy, man. Like, these guys that come up to us while we're preaching and, and, and just... Uh, blaspheme God and, and then say, well, we go to church. It's like, what, what are you doing? You have no under, you can't even articulate the gospel to me. Right. You know, like that, like Angela said, well, it's too complicated. Yeah, apparently, you know, that whole repentance and the forgiveness of sins thing, it's very difficult to explain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the good thing that came out of this is we were not planning to speak with a head pastor. Uh huh. 
And so the good thing that came out of this is he was told to repent of his man-centered gospel to yep. his faith. And so, um, it, you know, if we went there for judgment, if we went there, hopefully he'll repent. Hope, you know, hopefully he'll he'll truly repent. Um, right. But if not, he he was warned. He was warned, and so. Well. Um, well, Marcus, I got to tell you, you know, the story is is worth passing along. It's it definitely tells it kind of reaffirms one of the central messages here as far as the signs of the times. And that is, is that people who bring sound biblical doctrine are not welcome in uh, in a lot of the churches that uh, are out there supposedly advancing the gospel. But they're not advancing the gospel if they're kicking the guys out who are actually preaching it. So th- right. thanks for coming on the program. And as a result of your story, get, you know, we're going to be reviewing a, a sermon from Wave Church today on Fighting for the Faith. And uh, a couple months ago, uh, Pastor Kelly preached a sermon on um, self-esteem. He actually preached two of them on self-esteem. And so we're going to be reviewing uh, Pastor Kelly's uh, ser- self-esteem number one sermon today on Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> That's great, man. So um, I, I, I told I told uh, uh, Carl, I sent him a text message and said that uh, I, I really hope uh, he listens to this and that uh, he will examine um, the sermon with, with the Word of God in Scripture. So, Well, we can pray to that will. end. So, oh, Yeah. And so, well, thanks for having me on, Chris. And thanks for coming on, Marcus. And uh, again, interesting story worth passing along. All right, that was Marcus Pittman from TransplantMinistries.com. That's your website, right, Marcus? That's it, and uh, my Twitter is LawGrace. LawGrace, all right. So, again, thank you. All right, man, bye. Bye. So there you have it. Interesting story. Apparently the gospel isn't welcome uh, at uh, Wave Church there in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. And apparently uh, dissenters, people who might actually disagree with something that the pastor said, well, they're not welcome either. And as you can tell from the story, it wasn't like he was going there with a chip on his shoulder in order to pick a fight. Uh, That wasn't really it at all. So as a result of uh, that particular story, that is decided and clinched for us today, uh, (laughs) whose sermon we're going to be reviewing. So when we get back from the break, uh, we're going to be reviewing... Uh, the sermon entitled "Self-Esteem." This is a self-esteem number one, uh, preached by uh, Pastor Steve Ke- Kelly of Wave Church there in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and uh, that'll be our sermon review as soon as we get back from the break. Now, if you'd like to email me, you can uh, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, well, it's Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. 
of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. The holiday travel season is rapidly approaching, and the last thing you want to do, especially in these economic times, is pay more for airfare and travel expenses than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, I kid you not, that's their name, provides travel services that you need at the lowest possible prices. Cheapo Air is an eight-time consecutive HitWise U.S. Top 10 Award winner for diversified travel services. So if you're looking for low-cost airfares for the upcoming holiday season, Cheapo Air has what you're looking for. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, that's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, you will find on that page a special promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of any airfare or travel services that you purchase at Cheapo Air. That's right. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and book your holiday travel today. All right. We are back. (laughs) Running woefully behind today. I think I do the sloppiest uh, commercial breaks of anybody on the radio. (laughs) I wouldn't know how to hit a hard break if my life depended on it. Sometimes I can do it, but yeah. All right, it's time for sermon review time here at Fighting for the Faith. good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. 
What do we do here at Sermon Review Time? Well, we take what pastors are saying in the name of God and compare it to the Word of God to see if they are correctly handling God's Word or if they're eisegeting or twisting or if they're preaching the law in such a way as if the law somehow gives you brownie points with God uh, and they forget to preach the correct biblical gospel of Christ and Him crucified for your sins and uh, calling Ben to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. There's a lot we do here. There's also teaching that goes along with our sermon reviews, especially if there's uh, Bible twisting going on. We have to actually get into the Bible itself. So this is a very important part of fighting for the faith. And uh, today, it's not that we're picking on uh, Steve Kelly, but... Um, in light of the fact that he had his security team take Marcus Pittman and kick him out of the church because he dared to say that he disagreed with something that Steve Kelly said from the pulpit, it sounds like a prime candidate for us to review the sermon to see if maybe, well, maybe Marcus Pittman's just a hothead. Maybe he he's not correctly discerning when it comes to God's word, but then again, maybe... Marcus Pittman is absolutely right, and the reason why he's kicked out is because he was preaching the biblical gospel, you know, t sharing that with somebody at the church, and uh, that's not allowed anymore. Not in mega churches that have that their financial futures are riding upon them, putting on the show, if you would. <clears throat> so we'll see. We'll see what happens here. So without any further ado, here is uh, Pastor Steve Kelly of Wave Church in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia, and the t sermon title is Self-Esteem, Part 1. Did I mention this church is uh, somehow related to the uh, new, uh, the Hillsong people? Brought to you by Pastor Steve Kelly and Wave Church. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching, and we believe it will enrich and empower your life. Well, we'll find out. If it's correctly teaching God's Word, absolutely it will enrich uh, my life. It, it, definitely. If not, then it, it's actually spiritual poison, but we'll see. Self-esteem? Already we're off to a bad start. I mean, we haven't even started the sermon proper. We've just got, we got the intro music, and already we got a problem here. Does the Bible teach self-esteem? Chapter 16, I want to, um, anybody been enjoying our Kingdom series? Judging by the downloads and by the resource, uh, people are enjoying it. I actually today just want to have a brief interruption to our series and speak to you today on the whole subject of self-esteem, your self-image, how you see yourself. How you see yourself, your self-esteem literally determines so much about your life. It will. All right, we got a problem here. Um, yeah, this is not a biblical teaching. Uh, if anything, the Bible, the problem is, is that we esteem ourselves too highly. Uh, see, we don't recognize that we are sinners by nature and at war with God and in need of a Savior. Okay. Um, hmm. Affect your academic career, without a doubt. It will affect your friendships. It'll affect your relationships. Who wants to be near you? Who doesn't want to be near you? It will affect your finances. 
It'll affect your likelihood of promotion. This sounds terrible. I mean, if I don't have a good enough self-esteem, I'm not going to get a promotion at work. <laughs> Wait a second. <clears throat> I own Pirate Christian Radio. It'll affect if you're in sales, it's going to determine whether you're going to eat tomorrow. Your self-esteem. If you don't believe in yourself, no one's buying into your product. Uh, what did G.K. Chesterton uh, say? Um person who believes in himself um yeah it's not good it's i i think he you know, basically says you're a rotter um yeah does the bible say repent and believe in yourself is that what jesus said or were we called to repent and believe in G jesus christ for the forgiveness of our sins <clears throat> and we continue isn't that true? Your self-esteem determines who you'll marry. Come on, somebody say amen. You know, you don't think... Where does it say, where does it say that in the Bible? think you're good enough for someone else, you'll settle for less. And your self-esteem literally is determining so much of what happens to you in everyday life. Really? Wow. I had no idea. Amen? No, I can't say amen to that. I... Isn't your job, Pastor, to actually open up God's Word and tell us what God's Word says? Your self-esteem is determining your words. Your words are determining your reality. Your self What? My words are determining my reality? Uh-huh. This is prosperity heresy. Hang on. Yep, a lot of sulfur there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely not true. The, our words do not determine our reality. Self-esteem is determining how happily you will or won't be married. You with me here. Not only will it determine who you marry, but it's going to determine how happily you are married. Your self-esteem has so much influence on your life. And it's okay, uh, first Bible passage that I'm going to have to bring up. I have to throw a flag on the play here. Um, excuse me while I whirl up the old computerized Bible. By the way, I use Accordance for the Macintosh. Um, they really should consider becoming an advertiser. Um, I think I've given them so much free advertising, it's ridiculous. But it's it's really a superior product. Now, I also have Logos for the Mac, but that's like a Windows application that's just been ported over to the Mac. It's, I, I, it's not nearly as good as uh, Accordance, but uh, I digress. Uh, let's see... Uh, yeah, let's see here. Second Timothy chapter four. This, already we're kind of off to such a bad start. I thought I would uh, throw a flag on the play and uh, remind everybody of the prophecy that the apostle Paul uh, gave regarding uh, the last days. Uh, so, and the fun part about it is, is that uh, he also gives uh, sound biblical instru instruction uh, via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Pastor Timothy as to what his job should be. Here we go. For uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I start at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word. Now, in another one of these uh, pastoral epistles, Paul tells Timothy to dedicate himself to the public reading of Scripture. Okay, wh so what does preaching the word mean? Really uh, opening up the book and reading it in context teaching us what it says in context. And um, I would say the more scripture, the better. I mean, but uh, that's yeah, that's just me. 
So preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke. Yeah, rebuking is a vital part of uh, uh, teaching the Bible and exhort with complete patience and teaching for a time is coming. Apparently it's arrived uh, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, notice something here. The Who's the one putting these preachers in place? It's the peoples. They won't endure sound doctrine, so they're going to kick out the Bible teachers, and they're going to install instead preachers that will suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. I'm already hearing myths in this sermon, the myth of self-esteem, the myth that our words determine our reality. That is not biblical. In other words, let's put it this way. You know, I hate to use this uh, this uh, analogy or this story, but it's, it's apropos. Do you all remember uh, what uh, Tammy Faye Baker looked like just before she died? She had a vicious, terrible losing bout with cancer. And um, I remember her going on the Larry King live show, and she held on to the prosperity heresy even through her uh, cancer. And she was believing that if she 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 spoke what it is that she was facing and and, and her words determined her reality, that somehow that that would mean that uh, she wouldn't be healed. And so she was holding out against all hope that uh, th- by having enough faith and and speaking the right words that her reality would change. It didn't. She died of cancer and she looked like an Auschwitz victim uh, in the in you know just a week or two before she died. It was horrible to look at. Your words do not determine your reality. There is so much of reality that your words have. I'm sorry, but I mean, this is just basically teaching that affirmations are the way in which you create your own reality. It's not true. There's things that happen far beyond your power. And sitting in the corner and saying, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true, will not take away the fact that it's true, it's true, it's true. The prosperity heresy has more in common with the mind science cults like Christian science than it does with biblical Christianity. And, you know, but there is a joke that I heard long ago, um, you know, about a, a Christian scientist in hell. And they were sitting in the corner of hell suffering with their minds, with their eyes closed going, I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. And uh, no, they were. And they... So, no, your words do not determine your reality. That is not taught in the Bible. That is a heresy. We continue. As I look at the Bible, I am convinced that God's greatest concern isn't that we have too much, it's that we don't have enough. Really, God's greatest concern is that we don't have enough self-esteem. And I'm going to talk tonight about, you know, the right kind of self-esteem and the wrong kind of self-esteem. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. The right kind and the wrong kind. By the way, the right kind of self-esteem is, re- is knowing that you are a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. Uh, esteeming yourself as wretched and sinful and in need of a Savior. That's the right self-esteem. Let's see if he gets to that. But, you know, even on television, you turn on TV, you turn on the radio, you read the newspapers, and all the advertisers understand one basic p- principle. People have a low self-esteem. 
And so they pitch their product and say, if you buy what they have, then you'll feel better about yourself. Have you got the latest pair of jeans on? You'll look cool if you've got the latest pair of jeans. You have me here? Um, are you driving this car? You'll look cool. You may not feel cool. You may not think you're cool. You buy this car, you'll look cool. And the truth is, all you can do is get yourself in a whole lot of debt and nothing changes. Amen. So much of advertising. I mean, I mean, for instance, who's seen the Axe deodorant commercial? You know, and it's all basically saying that, guys, if you are wearing Axe, then, then drop dead gorgeous women are going to come running to you just because you're wearing that deodorant. How many people know this commercial? Yeah, yeah, you all know the commercial. Now, what's funny about that is I know guys been wearing Axe for years. And there's even some married guys. What are you doing trying to wear acts? You've already got a spouse. And, uh, but the truth is, they say, you get this, you'll feel better about yourself. Or a perfume commercial, you know. Um, I remember this one particular perfume commercial. They're basically saying, girls, if you wear this certain brand of perfume that total strangers, that as you walk by them, will have bionic smelling and be able to smell the scent that is on you and they will do the most radical things to get your attention. Why one commercial showed this guy who just got a whiff of this lady walking by with that perfume on and he went and robbed a flower stand, took the flowers off the flower stand, ran up to this total stranger and gave this woman, you know, the flowers because she had that brand of perfume. Back in Australia, a friend who was the distributing uh distribution manager for a shampoo company called Decore Shampoo. And they came out with this new commercial that was a very, very, very clever commercial. And it was all these different scenes of all these different people all shampooing their hair with Decore Shampoo. And they went from one person to another showing every age of life. So this is a multi-generational shampoo appealing to everybody. And every person was in the shower singing a song. I won't sing it to you. I'll bless you by not singing it. But if it's going, as I shampoo my hair, I really love the feeling and so does the family. And then it had this really decorate. And everybody went out and bought decorate. And this friend of mine was the distribution manager. He said, Steve, since that commercial has hit the airways, we cannot keep up distribution. Now, what's that saying? Hey, you want to have a healthy family? Buy the shampoo. That's the only key to a healthy family is their shampoo. Imagine all the people who are bald. They're depressed. They can't have a healthy family because they can't buy, they can't need shampoo. My friend, praise the Lord. You know, it's a funny thing because advertisers, oh, I'm sure I pressed that and it didn't start. I just picked up an extra few minutes. Advertisers, <laughs> some of you are clapping, and, uh, oh, and, uh, but advertisers understand that basically they can pitch their product at people's low self-esteem and show that if you tap into this, it'll make you feel better about yourself. Now, I'm not here to criticize the advertising and marketing world. They just understand a principle that too many people have low self-esteem. And God is concerned about our low self-esteem. You know, you think about... Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, whoo. I mean, I didn't think God cared about... I'm so glad he cares about my low self-esteem problem. Is that what Jesus was doing on the cross? Was he dying for our low self-esteem problem? 
when God said to Moses, I want you to go and bring Israel out of Egypt. And here's Moses. What if they don't believe me? Who will I say sent me? I can't speak properly. Send somebody else. The brother has got some low self-esteem issues. Whoa. So apparently Exodus chapter 4 is all about Moses' low self-esteem issues. Hmm. That's a Bible twist there. That's our Bible twist music. Yeah, that's a full-blown Bible twist. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 4 and see if it says anything about low self-esteem. By the way, context here, the greater context is found in Exodus chapter 3. Moses sees this bush burning but not being consumed. He approaches it and he hears the voice of God say, Take off your shoes, the, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And God reveals himself uh, to Moses and lets him know that he's sending him to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And uh, so Moses is having a conversation with God via the burning bush here. And uh, we pick up in the story, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. By the way, context, context, context are our three basic rules of a biblical interpretation. And when you apply context, context, and context... Uh, to the Bible, 90 to 95% of all Bible twists just clear right up. And so let's see if the Bible teaches <clears throat> that Moses had low self-esteem. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, I, I pick up verse 1. Now Moses answered, Behold, they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Well, he said, Well, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Uh, But the Lord said, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it by the tail, and it became a staff in his hand again. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Moses doesn't sound like he's suffering from low self-esteem. It sounds like he's the not too hip on this gig. Keep in mind, when he left Egypt, he was on uh, Egypt's most wanted list. Uh, Pharaoh had him on the top of the list of Egypt's most wanted for murdering an Egyptian slave master. And uh, and so he ran for his life. The whole idea about going back to Egypt, well, you know. <clears throat> so we continue. All right, so, uh, all right, so, uh, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, and he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak, so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses throws up an objection, says, what if they don't believe me? And God, since God is the one who called him to do this task, God's the one who's with him, and God is the one who's going to provide him with the miraculous signs to prove his credentials as having come from God himself. All right, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Sounds like Moses is suffering from a a, a faith problem. He's not trusting God. And so every objection that he gives, who is God pointing him to? Not to his low self-esteem, but God is pointing him to himself, to God. God is pointing him to God, saying, hey, listen, I'm the one sending you. I'm God. Trust me. Okay. Now, therefore, go and I will be and I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be, your, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with you, which shall do the signs. Anything there about Moses having low self-esteem and God saying, you know, listen, you got to believe in yourself. If if the if Moses was suffering from low self-esteem and the solution was that he needed to esteem himself more highly, then why did God say, okay, where's your where's Aaron? We'll call him. He you can speak to him and he'll speak for you. Why didn't God say, listen, Buster, you you grew up in the palaces of Pharaoh and had the best education and upbringing. Stop feeling so bad about yourself and stop having such low self-esteem. If Moses really had low self-esteem, then why did God call Aaron? Hmm. How come we don't hear anything about self-esteem in this passage? Hmm. Could it be that uh, Steve Kelly is completely just making that up and sticking it into the text? It's not there. He's not reading it out from the Bible. He's sticking it in the Bible and claiming that something that isn't there is there. That is Bible twisting, and God does not look kindly or favorably upon teachers who engage in such tactics or behavior. We continue. Now, by the way, can we stop and think about Moses? He was brought up in Pharaoh's house. He was educated by the best of the best. And yet still here he is with all that education, with all that family origin, with all that upbringing. And here he is going, I can't speak properly. But we know he could because he was taught by the best. And God's concerned about our self-esteem. You know, think about, for instance, not just Moses, but Joshua. Notice he doesn't read the story. He just says, he just asserts that God cares about his self-esteem. And he asserts that he knew that God, that Moses can speak well. Really? What indication do you have from the text that he was lying? God didn't say, yeah, 
no, you're, you just need to build your self-esteem. He called Aaron to speak on his behalf. Notice that? Of course, he didn't read the story. He just kind of alluded to it. Apparently, Joshua had a self-esteem problem, too. Let's hear. And he said to Joshua, listen, you're going to do it. Moses didn't make it all the way, but you will. You're going to bring the people into the promised land. Here's the key to it. You ready for it? Take note. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. What's... Um, uh, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. I think the, uh, the, again, who is God pointing Joshua to? His self-esteem? Or is God pointing Joshua to his great God? Be courageous because your great God is with you. Not have, not, uh, I listen, Joshua, the thing I really need you to do is have some good self-esteem. Be courageous, because that's what self-esteem is all about, being courageous. No, I think that falls into the category of another Bible twist. Sorry, I just had to point that out. A little Bible twisting going on here. What's God saying? Hey, get your self-esteem in order. Be sh- no, God didn't say anything of the sort. He was say- it was pointing him to himself. God was pointing Joshua to him, to God. Strong. Be courageous. And then he says, only be thou very strong and very courageous. He has to say it twice. And the second time he says it with more power than the first time. Come on, somebody say amen. And by the way, as I'm speaking this morning, I want to make sure we include River, who are watching live via streaming face. So come on, give him a big cheer this morning. It's great to have you, River, with us this morning. Matter of fact, I actually was talking to Carl. I want to make sure we get our, all of our extension services on the first and the last Sunday of every month, and we can speak directly. Uh, by the way, I did find the passage here. Um, mm-hmm. It's Deuteronomy chapter 31. Uh, let me pull it up here. Just doing a little, you know, fact checking here. Okay. Uh, Moses, uh, Deuteronomy 31. Um, so Moses continued to speak uh, these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go with, go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. Uh, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy the nations before you so that you dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he done as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the Amorites, and to their land. When he destroyed them, the Lord will give them over to you and shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Uh, this passage is not um, about 
Joshua's self-esteem. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land the Lord your God has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Uh, notice that the thing that's, re- uh, that's really redundant and the point that's really being made is that God, the Lord, Yahweh, goes with them. It's the Lord God, the Yahweh, who is going to destroy the, uh, the enemies before them. Not Joshua's self-esteem. Sorry, that is a full-blown lie. That is not what the scriptures teach directly into all of our extension services. And I'm speaking this morning, we have a service in Richmond, we have a service in Norfolk, we have a service in Peninsula, we had our South Beach service, then we had our 9 o'clock service, and then we've got our Richmond service, and I've missed one, Texas, seven, seven Sunday morning services, and then we have Jerusalem, eight, Sunday well, that's a, that's a Thursday night because of Sabbath and everything. So that's eight Sunday morning services around wave. Praise God for that. So, but it's good to have river. Amen. So God says to Joshua, come on, be strong and very courageous. You're not going to do it without a good self-esteem. Lie. Absolute lie. Nothing in that passage says anything about Joshua's self-esteem. Steve Kelly is absolutely preaching doctrines of demons and twisting God's word. You're not gonna have you're not gonna do it without seeing yourself as a God sees you. And no, the passage says nothing of the sort. It points out the fact that God is the one who goes before them. And God's not saying, look, you're being overly confident. God's saying you need to be more confident. God's not saying you're being overly courageous. He goes, You, you need to be very courageous. I'm with you everywhere you put your foot. I'm going to give it to you. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And God is saying to you this morning in your business, when you get up and you go to work, I'm with you. And every time you make a phone call and you go after a new business and a new client, you be strong and courageous. I am with you. I blessed you. No, God is not promising them anything of the sort. I've given you favor when you work at a hospital and you set foot into uncharted territories of people's health. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. Come on. This passage doesn't say anything of the sort. Nothing of the sort. This is just rank, rank, man-centered allegory. And it's Bible-twisting to the extreme. This is doctrines of demons. This is is people who have exchanged the truth of God's word for myths. That's what this is. Somebody say amen. When you go into the education sphere and you're a school teacher, God's going, come on, don't go in there thinking you're like a lamb thrown to the wolves. You- do, you, do you think, uh, Steve, that if you shout it and say it with passion, that somehow that makes it true? You know, the, the, so, so like the, the bigger the lie, the more passion you say it with, the the, the 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 more palatable it'll be because obviously all these people at wave don't see you for what you really are you are a bible twister you are preaching heresy you are preaching a man-centered gospel and a man-centered uh, teaching that isn't in accord with what the scripture teaches at all this is just a lie 
who go in there as a teacher, as an educator, as people are going to learn from you. You've got something to say. You'll be stimulating. The students will listen to you. Be strong. Be courageous. When you are working in a sales car yard and you're selling cars and you're not going to go, oh no, here comes another person. They're not going to buy a car from me. But you're strong and you're courageous. And every place you put your foot, I will give it for you, declares the Lord. Come on, your self-esteem is determining what's happening to you. Everything of your life. Well, all somewhere, somehow. And that's how people let them treat them like doormats. And so they just don't think they're any better. They, don't, they think they don't deserve uh, This is, just, oh man, wow. Deserve any better. Amen? Not only Gideon, think about Gideon. He's Gideon hiding in a wine press. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people preach that Gideon was a coward, that Gideon was hiding because he was afraid of the Miniards. But you read that, and what was he doing in the wine press? I mean, if he was just hiding in a wine press, okay. But what was he doing in the wine press? Anybody know? He was threshing out wheat. How many know you don't thresh out wheat in a wine press? What do you do in a wine press? Oh, man. Here we go. Gideon apparently suffered from low self-esteem. The reason why he was in the wine press is because if he'd threshed it where you normally thresh the wheat, uh, that he would have been attacked and uh, and maybe even murdered for his wheat. So it's to basically not advertise to the world what's going on. It wasn't. It was a dangerous times back then. Remember that Israel had kind of fallen away from the Lord, so the Lord punished them uh, by putting Midian over them. Yeah, the- so you press wine. So why was he threshing out wheat in the wine press? Because he didn't want the Midianites to see what he was doing because this was his food. And he knew if the Midianites saw it, they would have come and taken his food. How many know this guy's smart? Preachers preach, preach like he's a coward. There's nothing cowardly about this guy. He's trying to preserve his provision. He's trying to take care of his family. He's trying to look after. He understands the Midianites are attacking him. They're all over the place. And he's got to make sure that what he does is not seen by the Midianites. He's a smart brother. And what does this have to do with low self-esteem again? And then the angel comes and says, the Lord is with you. Listen to what he says. That would be the angel of the Lord. You mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, well, if God's with me, where are all the miracles? And he's arguing with an angel. You with me here? And say, but listen to what God said. I'm with you. Come on, listen to me. Look at me. Look, God is with you. Single person, one thing, will they ever date again? God is with you. Don't, don't see yourself, oh, I'll never get married. I'll just marry the first person that shows any attention to me. Oh, this sounds like Joel Osteen. Same, same garbage. Me. Well, if they're not a Christian, it's not a good start. Come on, somebody help me here. You have a self-esteem. I deserve the very best. Hun, I am the head and I am not the tail. Do I even need to comment on this? Uh, serious. I'm supposed to think I'm the head, not the tail. Oh, I have God's favor. I, I deserve the best. Then why did Jesus die on the cross and tell us to take up our cross daily and follow him? Hang on a second here. Uh need to do a little biblical work here. Um, let's see if I can find this. 
Oh, so quickly. Uh, let's see. Here we go. <clears throat> let's see. The, let's, let's, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, this is a guy who, uh, who had the honor, if you would, of actually meeting the, uh, the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, granted, Jesus, in a way, knocked him off of his high horse. I don't know if that's where we get the concept from, although I don't think a horse is actually mentioned in the passage itself. But it does say that the Lord appeared to him, knocked him down, blinded him, and uh, and uh, basically called him to be a Christian, if you would, to repent. And uh, this is a guy who who literally went out and risked life and limb to um, preach the gospel. Uh, did uh, the Apostle Paul fly first class? I mean, I mean, uh, float first class. They didn't have airplanes back then. Um, did did I mean? Did he basically have this attitude that he deserves to have the best and to think so well of himself and just you know and, and you know and apparently apply this allegorical interpretation? of of Moses and his low self-esteem and Joshua and his uh, call to be courageous and have high self-esteem and now Gideon called to high, have high self-esteem. Is, is that what we read in the scriptures about the Apostle Paul? Funny enough, the answer is a resounding no. Let's, let's read about uh, what the Apostle Paul experienced. Uh, let's see here. Um, but whatever anyone else dares, this is Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 21. If anyone else dares to boast, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Well, I, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? Child of the kingdom, so to speak? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman, far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Uh, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches who is weak. And I am not weak. Who is made to fall. And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. That's what the Apostle Paul experienced, and that was his, quote, version of the victorious Christian life, if you want to call it that. But the reality is is that uh, he did not fly first class. His life was one of continual suffering and persecution and imprisonment. Had nothing to do with his self-esteem at all. And Jesus Christ, again, God in human flesh, born in a barn, died a criminal's death, bleeding naked and scourged on a cross. And he was a man of sorrows and suffering and calls us to come and suffer with him. That's what biblical Christianity teaches. I don't know what this stuff is, but it's not biblical. 
You are below me. You are not worthy of my attention. You don't love the Lord, and I'm not going to get distracted with Johnny come lately, big L loser. I'm not going to go down that road. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm, I, my self-esteem's intact. Amen. Hmm. Then, of course, you look at Jesus and how much time Jesus spent trying to convince people to lift their self-esteem. Matter of fact, really, Jesus was in the business of lifting people's self-esteems. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. In fact, let me just show you one more Old Testament scripture. Psalm 139. I call this psalm the self-esteem or the self-image psalm. Look what the Bible says. We're just going to read through a few verses here. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Isn't that a challenging thought? That God knows what you're going to think even before you think it. He perceives your thoughts from afar. He knows what you're going to think before you even think it. And he still loves you. Amen. He says, uh, you discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. God knows when you're going out. He knows when you're going in. He knows where you are, where you've been, where you're going to go. He knows what you're going to say before you're going to say it. Come on, that's what the Bible says here. He says, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, or another translation says, in hell, you are there. Who's heard the expression, you made your bed and lie in it? Hey, you may have made your bed in hell and you will lie in it, but God is there. He is with you. He has not forsaken you. Get out of your bed. He loves you. He is familiar with all of your thoughts, all of your words. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far sides of the sea, even there your hand is guiding me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me in the light. Who is this psalm about? I thought it was about the Lord God, Yahweh. I mean, here the psalmist is praising God. Because, you know, here's the deal. What is the Psalms? The Psalms, what are the Psalms? The Psalms are the hymn book of the scriptures. And here the psalmist is singing the praises of God. It's about God. It's not about the psalmist's self-esteem. To make it about the psalmist's self-esteem or your self-esteem or my self-esteem is to completely miss the point, if you would. In fact, <clears throat> this is an adventure in missing the point. I love doing that. It's not about your self-esteem. This is about how great our God is. He's worshiping our God. And Basically making the claim that God is with us, regardless of what it is that we're doing, is absolutely heretical. God may not be with you in the sale that you're making. He may be with you, but remember this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what's talked about there, that's saving faith that trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Unless you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and trust in him alone for your salvation and life. God is not with you and nothing you could do can please God. You are still under the wrath of God. 
making a blanket statement that God is with you without any qualification whatsoever when it comes to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, as if all people, just by virtue of the fact that they weren't aborted by their mothers and survived the womb and and are now breathing in God's air, that God is with them? No, sir. comes night around me, even the darkness will be not dark to you, for the night will shine like the day. Look what it says. For the darkness is as light for you, for you created my inmost being. Look at this. Look what he says. David, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's literally implying in the Hebrew that God himself was in your mother's womb, knitting fashioning, creating, giving you your individuality, giving you your expression. Your That's quite a great God we have, isn't it? Your personality, who you are. God was in your mother's womb, my friend. He's I'm going to make Carl Lentz like this. Good upper body, torso, skinny legs. And everybody said... And look what he says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Uh, I got more chins than a Chinese phone book. What do you see? Do you look at yourself and say, my ears aren't straight. One's lower than the other. My nose is too big, it's too small. Ah, I don't have enough hair, I've got too much hair. I wish I had straight hair, wish I had curly hair. I wish I had hair. What do you see? When David says here, he says, I will praise you for I am fearfully. And when you made me God, you did a great job. That's what he's saying. You gotta, I will pray, I look good. No, no, no. Wow. Wow. This is so bad. Yeah, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are all dying because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. You think having a positive outlook and positive self-esteem about yourself because you're fearfully and wonderfully made is going to somehow make it so you can avert suffering? And ultimately your destiny, your date with God in the, in, in the grave? Oh, man. No, no, no. He says, I will praise you, O Lord. Your works are wonderful. God, my goodness, when you made me, you broke the mold. That's what he This is the most brazen, self-centered, ego ego stroking, non-biblical teaching I have ever heard. He's saying that's a healthy self-esteem. It comes from God knowing he made you. 
And then he goes on and he says, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Look what it goes on. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious, watch this. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would be outnumbered the grains of sand and when I awake, I am still with you. Here's David. He says, your thoughts toward me. How precious are they? How numerous are your thoughts toward me? Do you know what we're we're all, our self-esteem is very interested in what other people think of us. A lot of your self-esteem comes from that. What other people think of you. And here David says, God, your thoughts are so precious toward me and they're so numerous that they're more numerous than the sand on the seashore. They're just for a minute out there in river, go down to Ocean City. I told the nine o'clock to go to Atlantic City, but that's not a good idea. Go to, uh, go to Ocean City. And, but listen here, listen, get down to the beach on First Street and pick up one handful of sands. And then I want you to attempt, see how long it would take you, to empty one handful of sand, one grain at a time. Keep this in mind. Uh, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So you can talk about uh, all these positive thoughts that God apparently has towards you. But unless unless God has granted you repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, the wrath of God still remains on you. Understanding that every grain that you take is a precious thought that God has toward you. And then when you finish with the handful of sand, look at where you're standing and consider all 80 blocks of Virginia Beach oceanfront and realize that every grain of sand is a, and God's thoughts are more numerous than the sand on the seashore. And you don't tell me that won't affect your self-esteem. You don't, you tell me. You know, oh yeah, but you know, you, should, you wouldn't believe what my boss said. You wouldn't believe what my mother said. You wouldn't believe, you know, what my neighbor said. Hey, you need to be more aware of the thoughts that God has towards you than anybody else. Elijah was depressed and was suicidal because one woman prepared to say, I'm going to kill you for what you've done. He was a guy who had a national revival, but his self-esteem was more consumed by one person's negativity than all the good that God had done. Jezebel was going to kill him. It wasn't negativity. She was breathing out murderous threats because she, he had put the prophets of Baal to death. Friend, I want to tell you something. Your self-esteem is very important. Have a look how Jesus treated people. Let's go to uh, James and John. Let's go. Uh-huh. There for a minute. I love James and John. Of course, we read Matthew 16. Did we read that yet? We didn't. Can we read Matthew 16 then? Let's go to Matthew 16. And look what the Bible says here as Jesus is going to give a new name to Peter. His name was Simon. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? Now, why is Jesus asking this? Does Jesus have a low self-esteem? Is he looking for approval here? Is everything okay? What's the word out there on the street? What do people think about me? Is that why he's asking it? No. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, which is a pretty impressive group of people to be likened to. 
Who would like to be likened to John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets? He's a pretty awesome man of God. It's not a bad kind of league to be in. But Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon, the Bible says, and Simon Peter, he answered and said, you are the Christ. That's not his last name, by the way. Christ means the anointed one. Okay? And so you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon. Never say Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are, come on, shout out his name. You are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So this is pretty impressive. Simon, which means reed, goes from the name reed to a rock. That's pretty good. Imagine how Peter felt. <laughs> God's going to build his church. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Wow. This isn't about Peter. It's about Christ. It's about Jesus and who he is. Jesus, you're right, wasn't asking because he had low self-esteem, but because this gets down to who he is, the one true God in human flesh. And Peter confesses it right. They, the, the apostles, you know, they list out all of the different false ideas about Jesus, and Peter gets it right. And Peter doesn't get it right because of himself, because well, let me read it again. Now, Jesus, he came to the into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who is this, who is this passage about? Is it about Peter and his name change? No, it's about Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is about Peter's confession of faith as to who Jesus Christ is. This isn't about Peter's self-esteem at all. Um, By the way, another historical note here. Peter had the opportunity to suffer the exact same death that Jesus Christ did. Jesus was actually crucified by the emperor Nero. And we learn from church history that when faced with being crucified, Peter actually threw a fit. He didn't consider himself worthy enough to suffer the same death as Jesus Christ. So they said, suit yourself, Peter. And so they crucified him upside down. Peter wasn't concerned about his self-esteem and Jesus wasn't into the self-esteem business. He was in the repentance and the forgiveness of sins business. This pastor, Steve Kelly, 
He's not preaching the law to convict people of their sins. He's blowing smoke at them and puffing up their big fat egos to the point where they're so bloated and that people are so stuck on themselves they can't see that they're sinners in need of a savior. This isn't Christian preaching. This is the kind of preaching that the devil uses to keep his victims comfortable just before he kills them and drags their carcasses and their souls into hell. Me. But it wasn't just on Peter, was it? It was on the fact that Peter got a revelation who God was. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Hey, if you just come to church because your friends come here, you're missing out. If you come to church because this is a cool place to go, you're missing out. If if you just kind of like, well, I just like the vibe. It's just a good vibe. It's a good feel. The aura. There's an aura here. There's really cool people. It's the place to be seen. They write about this church in the newspaper. And they do. A couple of days ago, they said that we are like Las Vegas in the newspaper. There's our new comparison, Las Vegas. I can so see the similarities. Like, really? It's a wonder we don't have slot machines out there in the foyer. I mean, I can see. Well, let me just see now. Okay, what do we do? We help people come off drugs, come off addictions, restore marriages, heal people, bring the kingdom of heaven, preach righteousness. Yeah, I see the similarity. Yeah, I can see it. Don't get me started. And I lost my total train of thought. What was I talking about before Vegas? Yourself. Oh, Peter's self-esteem. Sorry. Revelation. And God changed his name. And there's a baby about to get something changed right now. (laughs) And we do have a great nursery and a great creche for parents so that they can, we can all enjoy the service. The, the, The moral of the story is don't bring your screaming kid into church. It'll disrupt the show. But God changed his name. So now could you imagine Jesus now says, Hey, James, John, I'm going to give you a new name. Could you imagine? We're ready for it. He gets rocky. Peter, which means rock. So he gets rocky. What are we going to get? And Jesus says, look at this. Mark chapter, uh, where am I? Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee. There's a name. What's your name? James, son of Zebedee. Thank God for the name change. And his brother John, to them he gave them the name, the sons of Boanerges. Could you imagine Peter just falling over laughing? They went from Zebedee to Boanerges. I mean, Simon went from weed to rock and James and John. This is just an abomination. This isn't even actually teaching what the text says. John, get from Zebedee to Boanerges, which is worse. Until Jesus explains the meaning of the word Boanerges, which is this, the sons of thunder. How many of you think James and John went? How many think every time thunder happened from moment that moment on, they were reminded 
of their name. It seems to me that Jesus has spent a lot of time trying to lift people's self-esteem, then pull it down. No, actually, remember Jesus' stump speech, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? No. No, this is completely read into the text. This is more of that Bible twisting that I told you about earlier. Let me show you another guy, a guy called Zacchaeus. The Bible says he was a short man. How many know society lies to short people? How many know society lies to fat people? How many know society lies to skinny people? How many know society lies? You with me here? And we get this idea of this, you know, front page chubba person of what the world defines as beautiful. And here is Zacchaeus, and the Bible says here, there was a man called Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus and who he was, but being a short man, he couldn't see because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, and Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw at this, and they began to mutter, he's gone to the house to be the guest of a sinner. It's amazing how the crowd mutters. There's a muttering crowd. You wave church having a sign at the front there. Look like Las Vegas. What's going on? And here they are muttering. And there's a muttering spirit in a crowd. Amen. And so, but Zacchaeus, the Bible says, and all the people began to see it, for he'd gone to the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, here I am, and I give now. And this is after the meal. He says, I, here I am, I give now half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times that amount. Now watch this. Zacchaeus has got a problem. He just wanted to have a look at Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is stopping in his tree. And looks up, and now the whole crowd sees. And there's a short man up a tree. And he says, come down, I'm going to your house for dinner. And they're all going, his house to dinner? He's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. He's a very wealthy person. He's more of a sinful person than anybody else. Why would you go to his house? But Zacchaeus, all right, Jesus, come on. So he brings God. God. He's bringing God home to eat. With the dirty dozen. And he gets home, he's got a whole new problem. He's got to tell his wife, hey honey, I'm home. I brought God to dinner. I got a few of his friends. And you're cooking now. 
So she begins to mutter, 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 mutter. Watch, 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 he just sat there and ate a meal. And as a result of sitting there and eating a meal without condemning him, without looking down upon him, without being judgmental, Zacchaeus knew that Jesus knew. Zacchaeus knew he was a sinner. And now he's sitting there. And he- <clears throat> First real mention of sin. Okay, let's see where this goes. Maybe it'll, he'll land on his feet and talk about sin and the forgiveness of sins by Christ's death on the cross. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. And he knew that Jesus knew. And Jesus knew that he knew that he knew. And Zacchaeus knew that Jesus knew that he knew that he knew that he knew. And he stands up without Jesus saying anything. Giving half my money to the poor. And anybody I've wronged four times what I took from him. And look what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save what was lost. I'll give you one more scripture. John chapter. Slow down there, Steve. Otherwise, uh, you'd miss it. Notice that uh, the sinner Zacchaeus repents. He repents. And he trusts in Christ. And Jesus announces to him that salvation has come to him today. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It doesn't say the Son of Man came to give self-esteem to those with low self-esteem. The Son of Man didn't come to give Hallmark greeting card greetings and thoughts like the sands of the sea, God's thoughts and all these tender thoughts and mercies that he has towards you. No, he he came to seek and save the lost. How did Jesus seek and save the lost? By dying in the place on the cross for all of our sins and our iniquities and our lawlessness. taking the punishment we earned upon himself. He wasn't saving Zacchaeus' self-esteem. He was saving Zacchaeus. The way you read the story, it's as if salvation equals Zacchaeus. He has good self-esteem, this short sinner man. No. Zacchaeus has eternal salvation won by Christ in his death on the cross. And he repented and trusted in Christ. He repented and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and that day salvation came to him. One. This is now Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was more of a, I don't know how you describe him, he was more of a prejudiced kind of a guy. He was more of a, what part of town do you come from? He's one of those guys that really got a sense of whether people's social standing, whether, whether he should even talk to them based on where they came from. What's their socioeconomic background? Where, where, where... That you're reading a lot into, uh, into Nathaniel's um, psychological profile here. I mean, I mean, seriously, um, 
Nathaniel is mentioned in exactly one, two, three, four, five verses. Let me read all that we know about Nathaniel. Philip found Nathaniel, this is John chapter 1, verse 45, and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Yeah, a lot of what we're hearing supposedly, uh, Nathaniel was about, it's not recorded in the scriptures that that's how Nathaniel was. Where were they born? And so look what happens here. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look what Nathaniel says. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel asked. Come see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. I love the King James on this one. He says, Ah, Nathaniel, a man in whom there's no guile. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, well, I saw you before Philip called you. Jesus answered, hey, I heard you say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what did Nathaniel do? The Bible says when Jesus told him what he knew, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, if that were me, and I heard what Nathaniel said, and he's dissing my hometown, Can anything good come out of Nazareth, huh? How do you know me? I saw you. But not Jesus. Jesus taps into the good of this man. Really? He taps into the good of this man. Don't you understand that Scripture makes it clear that we we are all by nature sinners? And you're twisting this passage again. Don't make me play that song. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Doesn't say anything about Jesus hearing him dissing Nazareth and then tapping into his good. Jesus basically said he miraculously saw him while he was standing under, while he was sitting under a fig tree. Knowledge he couldn't have had because that occurred before Philip came. Jesus basically said, I miraculously knew where you were. That's, that's what's going on here. Nothing about, I heard you dissing Nazareth. He says, ah, oh, Nathaniel, you say it how it is. There's no guile in you. You're true. There's nothing false. You're an upfront kind of guy. And just that moment of connection, not of judgment, turned Nathaniel's whole thinking around. Seems to me, that God is more interested in trying to help have us 
have a right self-esteem than a wrong self-esteem. Again, he's just completely reading that into the passage. It's not there. He's seeing mirages in the scripture. He's trying to help get us a sense of confidence and faith and courage. No wonder the Bible says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Did a young confidence in what? Confidence in confidence? Faith in faith? No, we have confidence in Christ. We have faith in Christ. Faith and confidence always have an object that they are looking to. It sounds like you're preaching confidence for the sake of confidence, faith for the sake of faith. No, our faith is in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. Our confidence is in God. Our faith is in the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. People, your self-esteem is going to determine who you marry. Oh, man. It's going to determine whether you will or won't go to college and what kind of job you will and won't get. Come on, help me here, church. Your self-image is just so important. And I'm just burdened for everyone, a part of Wave Church today, to get the right godly self-image. Amen, church? I see it as my role as a parent to pour as much faith and confidence and courage into my kids and into my wife as I possibly can. I want to give them, I know the world's going to knock it out of them, so I'm not trying to knock it out of them, I'm trying to put it into them. Oh, faith and confidence in themselves. Uh, That's faith and confidence poorly put, badly misplaced. We are all wicked sinners in need of a savior. We're not called to put our faith in ourselves or to believe in ourselves. We're called to believe in Christ, trust in Christ, have faith in Christ, have confidence in him, not ourselves. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to tell them they're losers. I mean, people out there in the world, they'll do that all day and every day. I see it as my role as a parent to to let them feel like they can take on life and they can do it well. To let them feel like, you know, give it everything you've got. Live big, dream big, have big dreams. And I'm there supporting whatever those dreams are. Amen. My daughter wants to go on and do a uh, another, after she's done her degree, she wants to do an MBA. And I'm thinking, I'm with her all the way. I'm for her. Then I found out I had to pay for it. And I went, flip, I'm still for her all the way. Get that MBA quick so you can pay me back. My son's going to college. I'm so pleased. And I want to put faith and confidence into him. He was into soccer. and That's all he cared about. Notice, it's not faith and confidence in Christ. It's faith and confidence in himself. Dream big. Have big ideas for your life. Don't let the, the world tell you you're a loser. Be a winner. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn, people like you. Nothing about their sins. Nothing about their the wrath of God. Nothing about the need for repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus alone. This is a man-centered, ego-puffing, satanic poison designed to make you focus on yourself, not Christ, lead you astray by focusing on yourself and your dreams and not Christ. And at the end of your life, you will stand before God's judgment and face his wrath. Because your faith was poorly put. Nowhere in scripture are we called to believe in ourselves. Nowhere in scripture are we called to have confidence in ourselves. We're called to repent. To confess that we are sinners. 
and receive Christ's forgiveness and mercy and trust and have our confidence in Christ alone. About and I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm on the sidelines cheering, rearranging my life to do everything I can, both my sons, to help them pursue their dream. And one of them says, I don't want to do it anymore. So I'm going, I'm with you, man. What do you want to do now? He says, I want to preach. I'm with you, man. Do whatever you want to do. Church, I want to tell you something. We have got to be people who are encouraging, who are building people's dreams, who are lifting. Wow, this is just terrible. Well, no wonder Marcus Pittman got kicked out of this church and the security guards had to get rid of him because he was preaching the biblical gospel, preaching true repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Light and darkness cannot be mixed together. Now on top of, on top of twisting God's word and preaching a false man-centered gospel, Steve Kelly is also now guilty of persecuting Christ's church, and the gospel. People up. Come on, somebody say amen. I'll just give you one thought, and then I'll, one, 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 one statement, and I'll close. Singers and musicians, come on back. I want you to understand when it comes to self-esteem and self-image. If you can understand this about people, it'll help you. People don't see things the way they really are. They see things the way they are. Did you hear that? People don't see things the way they really are. They say things the way they are. Now, that's a great little state. Where, what verse is that found in again? Is that found in Wave chapter 3, verse 72? Yeah, you, you meet somebody who's been you know, living a life where they've been victimized their whole life. Victimized. What about the perps? What about the sinners? We've got a bunch of people who've been <laughs> victimized. It's amazing how they just grow up their whole life a victim. Isn't that incredible? And then I... How about sinners who grow up their entire lives sinners? You know, sinning. Facing God's wrath as a result of it. They see things the way they really are. They see things the way they are. Their, their, their life is filtered by their experiences. So maybe, you know, in terms of being victimized, and, you, and, you, and let me tell you something, you've got a choice to be a victim. I, I cannot believe this. This is just rank, rank, man-centered, itching, ear-scratching mythology shrouded in some kind of Bible-ish sounding thing that completely misses Christ and him crucified for our sins. Wow, and it's brazen, Maybe stuff happened to you that should never happen to you, but you can, you can make a choice to come out from under that. God has given you the power of choice. You can get over that in Jesus' name. The gospel is you can get over it. That's the good news. You can get over it in Jesus' name. So that was what Jesus was doing on the cross, giving us the power to get over it. Our victimization, right? Because we're all just victims. None of us has ever done anything evil or wrong. We're all just victims. Amen. I, I'm not growing up a victim of my mother and father's gambling and alcoholic addiction and life and lifestyle. I, I made a choice when I gave my life to Jesus. Any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Everything. So you made a choice to follow Jesus. Oh, I see. That's how that works. 
law, not gospel, by the way. Nothing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, which is what Jesus told us to proclaim in Luke chapter 24. We continue. It has become new. And thank God my kids... All right, I guess they're playing New Age Spacey music in the background here. ...will not have to deal with the baggage I had to deal with. They'll have to deal with their own stuff. You have me here? But thank God, they don't have to, thank God that victim thing hasn't been passed on to them. Amen. People don't see things the way they really are. They see things the way they are. Every church I've ever been to, I've been hurt. So you can't trust churches. Hey, if you keep turning up at the scene of the accident, if every church you've ever been to, you've been hurt, there's only one common denominator. It's you. Every guy I've married has been a loser. Hey, if every guy you've married has been a loser, that says more about you than every guy you've married. And I'm saying that lovingly, but you need to hear it. Your self-esteem is determining who's coming to you. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. This is horrible. Utter darkness. There is no light of the gospel here at all. Are you hearing me? People don't see things the way they really are. They see things the way they are. This guy is a self-esteem snake oil salesman with an $18 million stage. Receive the word. All right, we're done. Wow, it has been a while since I've heard something quite that bad. And that is really, I mean, that's like Joel Osteen bad. This is rank, rank heresy. This is rank itching of ears. This is man-centered. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not what the scripture teaches. I said Jesus, scripture-twisting, complete malarkey. Folks, the gospel is this, and I'll begin with the bad news. Here's the bad news. You can complain about being a victim all you want, but the problem is, is that that victimhood isn't going to stand a snowball's chance in Hades of standing up before God. Because here's the deal. You are guilty of breaking God's commandments. You are the one who has been the perp. You are the one who is guilty of not loving God with all of your heart. You are guilty of, of blaspheming and using God's name in vain. You are guilty of not honoring your father and mother. You are guilty of adultery. You are guilty of lying. You are guilty of coveting. You are guilty of all kinds of rank and vile sinfulness. And you haven't got a snowball's chance in hell of escaping the wrath of God because the scriptures make it clear that the wrath of God will be revealed against all of this lawlessness. And you are guilty And you can talk about your self-esteem all you want, but the reality is, is there's a lot of people who are going to hell who have great self-esteems. They feel wonderful about themselves. And they can say all they want, God made me special, and I am special, and God has great thoughts towards me, and all that kind of stuff, and it's a load of garbage. They are sinners. Christ came to seek and save the lost. And if you are outside of Christ, you are lost and under the wrath of God. 
But there is another word from God. God is not content to just say to hell with you, which is exactly what you and I both deserve. Instead, God himself becomes a man in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. And he dies in your place on the cross. Suffering the wrath of God that you earned, he takes it upon himself full strength. And God's justice is satisfied. God's wrath is propitiated. Your sins are atoned for. You are redeemed, and the debt that you owe to God is paid in full by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Not some of them, all of them. So the call of the gospel is for you to repent. Repent of your wickedness. Repent of your lying, your thieving, your adulteries, your murders, your coveting and your hating of God. And believe the good news that Christ died for your sins and is declaring to you that your sins are paid in full. Your salvation is a free gift won by him. Repent and believe this good news. For it is the only message that can save you. It is the only good news that can keep you out of the fires of hell. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. And he was raised again on the third day for our justification according to the scriptures. You can feel good all you want. You can have the best marriage that there ever is to have on this planet. And you'll still be in hell. You can drive a Beamer, fly first class, wear the most expensive clothes and jewelry, and you'll still be in hell. Because those things do not show you God's favor. What shows you God's favor is Jesus Christ, naked, scourged, bleeding, dead on a cross for your sins and mine. Repent. And believe the good news. Folks, we are at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. And right now, we need a 1,000 of our listeners <clears throat> to join our Fighting for the Faith pirate Christian radio crew. And it's a mere $6.95 a month. And once we get to a 1,000 listeners, and we're still a long, 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 long way away from that, please join today. You do so by visiting fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the Join Our Crew button. And if you'd like to donate a flat amount, you can at uh, by click fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Donate button, or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, I'd love to get your feedback on that uh, sermon or anything you've heard. Uh, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or... Ask to be my friend on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. It's pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross, even for your sins. Amen. Amen.